Hey everyone, Worldwide Jew here, and today we're going to be talking about the Bene Israel, a Jewish ethnic group who traces their roots to northwestern India and even Pakistan. This, well, this episode will be divided in, up into two parts, as with most other episodes. In part one, we'll, we'll, what will be talked about is general information on the Bene Israel, uniqueness of the Bene Israel, language of the Bene Israel, and Bene Israel food. While in part two, I'll be talking about the Bene Israel in Israel, Bene Israel in India, Bene Israel in Canada, a bonus section, and finally, a personal experiences and conclusions, my personal experiences and conclusions on the Bene Israel. I will not be doing a history section because the history section is basically integrated in the general information section. There's lots of information on the Bene Israel, but not like, you know, there's not a lot of it um, pertaining to like certain um, amounts, uh, like to certain like periods of time. So yeah, like I'm just going to include, I'm just not, not going to do the history section because it's just like, there's information about the history in the general information section, but there's not really a lot of information about like, oh, and from this year to this year, they're doing this. So I'm just going to include it in the general information section. Anyways, let's get into it with the general information section. The Bene Israel, Sons of Israel, also the Shani, Shanivar Teli caste, Saturday oil presser caste, or native Jew caste, are a community of Jews in India. It has been suggested that it is made up of descendants of one of the lo disputed lost tribes and ancestors who had settled there centuries ago. In the 19th in the 19th century, after the people were taught about normative Ashkenazi Sephardi Judaism, they tended to migrate in the, from villages in the Konkan area to nearby cities, primar primar primarily Mumbai, but also to Pune, Ahmedabad, and Kolkata, India, and Karachi in today's Pakistan. Many gained positions with the British colonial authority of the period. Bene Israel are called Saturday, Saturday oil presser caste because they're traditionally oil makers who kept the Shabbat, hence, sat the, hence Saturday oil presser Pressure cast. According to the Bene Israel tradition, they arrived in India sometime in the 1st or 2nd century when their ancestors were shipwrecked in western India while on a trading voyage to the Far East. On the other hand, some historians have thought their ancestors may have belonged to one of the lost tribes of Israel, but the Bene Israel have never been officially recognized by the Jewish authority as such. After migrating to India, the Bene Israel gradually assimilated to the people around them while keeping some of their Jewish customs. The medieval Jewish philosopher Maimonides mentioned in a letter that there was a Jewish community living in India. He may have been referring to the Bene Israel. The story of the Bene Israel is seemingly from the ten lost tribes of Israel, who escaped persecution from Greek ruler Antiochus Aphanes in 175 BCE. They landed shipwrecked on the shores of Navgaon, now the site of, of historic Bene Israel cemetery. They are the oldest and largest group of Indian Jews. Despite the loss of their holy books when they arrived in India, they persevered and continued to observe the, the Shabbat, kept, kept kosher, celebrate the major uh, festivals, circumcised their sons, and held firmly to the vestiges of Jewish observance and dimly remembered forms for the uncounted and uncount, uncountable centuries. But the, the Bene Israel uh, learned that the native Marathi language and adopted local customs. They took up oil pressing and assimilated into the local culture until they began to resemble the Maratha people in their appearance and customs. It wasn't until the 18th and 19th centuries that teachers from Baghdad and Cochin taught them ancient Judaism. It was then that they were finally able to read the Torah and build on their Jewish teachings and culture. The Bene Israel always have been the largest of the three Jewish communities in India. The other two were Cochin and Baghdadi. In 1838, for example, the total Bene Israel population of India was estimated at 8,000 far more than the combined numbers of Baghdadi and Cochin Jews. For generations, they lived as a distinct endogamous group in rural villages, some of them, remote, some of them in remote areas. Through, throughout the Kolaba district of the Maha, Maha, Maharashtra state, Tra traditionally, 
The Bene Israel worked in sesame oil pressing. They also farmed their lands, peddled produce, and worked as skilled carpenters. Because the Bene Israel families were scattered among many villages, community life in the in, in Kolaba district was extremely limited, and a group prayer and Jewish ritual, rituals took place in the home. The community's religious observance was based on biblical Judaism. They celebrated Jewish holidays related to the Bible. The Shabbat was strictly observed, and all male children were circumcised eight days after birth, and the Hebrew verse the first Hebrew verse of the Shema was recited on all occasions for prayer. Initially, the Bene Israel had no Torah scrolls, prayer books, or synagogues, nor they were familiar familiar with rabbinic Judaisms or the or the details of halacha. They were guided by three Bene Israel religious leaders called Kazis, who traveled from village to village in order to officiate all, all, at all rites of passage. According to the community's own oral traditions, their descendants from seven couples from a country to the north, the sole survivors of a shipwreck of the Konkan coast near Nevegaon, uh, a country, by the way, country to the north is referring to Israel, about 40 kilometers south of Bombay, or known as Mumbai today. Ever since the early 19th century, Christian missionaries and Jews, not B'nai Israel as well as B'nai Israel, have offered diverse suggestions to explain their community's origins. For example, the centrality of the prophet Elijah in the B'nai Israel tradition produced the theory that their ancestors lived in the Holy Land in the time of Elijah, 8th century BCE, and that the country to the north was actually Israel, as I said before. Other theories have these ancestors tearing in Persia or Yemen before ending up shipwrecked on the Konkan coast. Dating of their dating of their arrival in the Konkan ranges anywhere from the eighth century BCE to the sixth century CE. In sixteen seventy four, the British East India Company moved its headquarters to the to the islands of Bombay and Mumbai. By the eighteen by the mid eighteenth century, Bombay had developed into a metropolis with a bustling port city, attracting thousands of Indians from the countryside, including hundreds of Bene Israel. Although most of the community remained in villages, many Bene Israel were tempted by the by, by the opportunities in Bombay for employment and education. Others moved to the city in order to enlist in the native forces of the British East India Company and later the British government's military services. The relative proportion of enlistment, of decorations for bravery, and of promotion to the highest ranks for native forces was extremely high amongst the Bene Israel, given the size of their total population. In Bombay, Bene Israel mainly worked in construction, in the shipyards, and as carpenters. Here, they were introduced to new techniques and new kinds of tools. Because an oil-pressing monopoly already existed in the city, they did not pursue the traditional occupation. In 1796, the first Bene Israel synagogue, Sha'ar Ha-Rachamim, was founded in Bombay. India's Bene Israel are unique among diaspora communities because it was a Christian missionary who created, albeit unintentionally, a firm basis for the Bene Israel community's entry into mainstream Jew Jewry. The British did not allow missionaries into British territories in India until 1813, but soon thereafter, European and American, American Christian missions were established with headquarters in Bombay. The Reverend John Wilson of, of the Church of Scotland, later of the Free Church of Scotland, arrived in India in 1829 and worked with the Indians of Bombay and the Kolaba district until his death in 1875. He was a scholar and a trudite writer and one of the founders of Bombay University. Wilson introduced Hebrew as a subject for matriculation and for higher education. He saw in the Bene Israel the biblical the biblical remnant of Israel. It was Wilson who wrote in 1838 the first serious account of the Bene Israel and the customs. Already in 1832, he wrote and published in Bombay the rudiments of Hebrew grammar and Marathi, intended for the benefit of the native Israelites. Using Wilson's book of Hebrew Marathi grammar as a first step, some pupils became very proficient in Hebrew. In due course, they themselves became teachers of Hebrew, not only in Wilson's schools, but also at the college and university level. These B'nai Israel scholars published Marathi translations of classic Hebrew texts, Jewish prayer books, rabbinical commentaries, and sermons. Each Hebrew text was accompanied by a parallel translation into Marathi. 
for the for the first time giving the Bnei Israel access to a wide range of Jewish texts. In addition, Bnei Israel studied the English language and sub sub secular subjects in Wilson schools, which opened up a whole new world of knowledge. Most important, their literacy, their literacy in Hebrew and in English enabled them to communicate and maintain contact contact with world with mainstream Jewry. It is remarkable that during a century of concentrated efforts to convert to convert Bnei Israel to Christianity, their various missions met with almost no success. In eighteen fifty four, after Reverend Wilson had been in, in India for twenty five years, he wrote, "The labors of the Bombay missions have not yet been blessed with the conversions of any of their number." While Christian missionaries were trying to convert to Bene Israel, in 1826, a group of dedicated Cochin Jews teachers left their community in order to live among the Bene Israel in Bombay and the Kalaba district and teach them about mainstream Jew Jewish observance. A second group of Cochin teachers arrived in 1833. On weekdays, they taught the Jewish religion in Hebrew reading and writings. On Saturday, they conducted morning prayer services and discussed halakha and Jewish belief in the afternoons. More Bnei Israel synagogues were founded, and each became a vital center of religious, social, and communal life. With no ordained rabbi, the synagogue was served by Hazan, Cantor, usually a Cochin, Baghdadi, or Yemenite Jew, who is also served as a shochet, slaughterer for kosher meat, moha, ritual circumciser, and sofer, scribe. During the 19th century, Bnei Israel families also settled in Pune, Ahmedabad, Karachi, Delhi, and other Indian cities. Initially, Jewish prayer services were held in the homes of community members. But in, uh, but in time, a substantial synagogue or, where, or, or, or where there are too few Jewish residents, an attractive prayer hall was erected. Uh, two main factors contributed to the community's dispersal through the Indian subcontinent. First of all, during the British period, educated Bene Israel were, were favored for civil, ser civil service positions. Second, relatively large numbers of Bene Israel were served in the government police services. The Army, Navy, Merchant Marine, and in the 20th century, the Air Corps. All these vocations tended to involve permanent or temporary postings far from Bnei Israel population centers. For those stationed in remote places, the only reminder of the Jewishness will often be home life and the Jewish calendar, that is, the Jewish high holidays, Passover, or family rites of passage. On these occasions, they would travel to Papua to the native villages or to the nearest Jewish congregation in order to celebrate with family or at least be together with fellow Jews. Over the course of the 19th century, Bnei Israel were confronted for the first time with a simultaneous influence of Jewish orthodoxy, secular education, and Western ideas. The choices they, they, then, they made then and can continue to make in the 20th century depend upon such variables as proximity to other Jews and to synagogue, finances, and a degree of actual contact and familiarity with various expressions of Jewish observance. In the 20th century, the Bnei Israel Conference, 1917-37, and the, and the All India Israeli League, 1918-1925, became the focal of Bnei Israel community development. Both organizations deliberated upon social, religious, educational, and economic matters affecting the community. At the end of the 1940s, with India's total population at 350 million, the Bnei Israel population in India peaked at an estimated 24,000 to 25,000. After 1948, many members of the community began emigrating, many from the cities to the new state of Israel. They are motivated by a combination of three equally compelling factors, a new sen uh, sense of Jewish identity, Zionist idealism, and concern over Bnei Israel economic prospects in the newly independent India. A minority of Bnei Israel immigrated to England, the United States, Canada, or, or Australia. Large-scale immigrations from the villages did not occur until the early 1970s. Since then, the total number of Bnei Israel remaining in, remaining in India, almost, in all, almost all in urban centers, remained fairly stable at f around 5,000. In Israel, the Bnei Israel population i.e. persons with one at least Bnei Israel parent, was estimated as of 1994 at 40,000, almost all of whom settled in cities or in development towns. 
When members of community first arrived in Israel, very little was known about the history or cultural background of the Bnei Israel, which exacerbated the problems of absorption. Although the years that followed the immigration were therefore made un unnecessarily difficult, the community situation has greatly improved. The Bnei Israel in Israel have established several social and cultural organizations, which served as the foci of community identity. At times, these organizations present information about the Bnei Israel to Israeli society at large. Mainly, however, they help both the young and the old, older members of the community maintain a link with the heritage and with India, the country that provided a friendly home for generations of the Bnei Israel. Bnei Israel, for Hebrew for sons of Israel, the largest and older group, and oldest of several groups of, of Jews in, of India, believed to, by tradition to have been shipwrecked on the Konkan coast of western India more than 2,100 2, years ago. They were absorbed into Indian society, maintaining many Jewish observances while operating within the caste system. In the early 19th century, Christian missionaries introduced Marathi language, versions of the Hebrew Bible, their Old Testament, to the inhabitants of the Konkan coast and set up English language schools. This revelation, together with the model of normative Judaism provided by contact in the late half of the 19th century with Arabic-speaking Jews of Baghdad, finally broke the isolation from the rest of the Jewish world. When in 1948, the state of Israel was established, many B'nai Israel began to emigrate. Like other far-flung Jewish groups, the Bnei Israel over the centuries has become physically indistinguishable, in, physically indistinguishable from the peoples they lived among, and their practices, much influenced by Hindu beliefs and practice, somewhat at odds with those of mainstream, Jew, mainstream Jews. As a result, their immigration to Israel was marked by conflict for a few decades. Some rabbis objected to their marriage with other Jews on the grounds that the Bnei Israel could not properly observe the Britannic laws governing marriage and divorce. In 1964, however, the chief rabbinate declared, the Bnei Israel, full Jews in every respect, but reserved to itself the right to decide the, the, the legitimacy of individual marriages. The Bnei Israel, probably the only Jewish community in the world today which did not experience anti-Semitism. Living in harmony with their Indian neighbors for 2,000 years, they were, they were free to practice Judaism and develop as a community. The Bnei Israel were fully absorbed into Indian society, yet still retained a separate sense of identity. However, they remained isolated from the mainstream from the mainstream of Judaism for centuries. The process of rapprochement with world Jewry culminated in the recognition given in 1964 by the Israeli rabbinate that the Bnei Israel are full Jews in every respect. Some of the Bnei Israel claim descendants from the lost ten tribes of Israel. According to biblical history, these ten tribes, which formed the kingdom of Israel, were exiled from their capital, Samaria, by the Assyrian king Shalmaneser and subsequent kings from the, from the year 722 BCE on. The survivors were often sheltered by the local inhabitants and decided to permanently in the Konkan villages. They adopted Hindu surnames similar to the to their biblical first names, but became known by their Kar surnames, which indicated the villages in which they lived. For example, Nagon Na Kar came from the villages of Nagon, Penkar from the village of Pen, and Wakarul Kar from the village of Wakarul. More than 100 village surnames can be found among mem members of the Bnei Israel community today. The Bnei Israel adopted the occupation of oil pressing in the Konkan and became known as Shanwar, Shanwar Telis, or Shabbat, Shabbat of observing oil men because they did not work on the Shabbat. They adopted Marathi, the local language, as their mother tongue and became, uh, became physically indistinguishable to outsiders from the local population. Within village society, the Bnei Israel were clearly differentiated from others because of their adherence to Jerusalem. Tradition recounts that the holy books were lost in the shipwreck, and the Bnei Israel forgot all the Hebrew prayers except the Shema Israel. Shema Israel, Hero Israel, our Lord is our Lord, our God is one, our Lord is one, or something like. That. I don't know the exact translation. It's, it's Hero Israel. 
however, they observed the Shabbat, celebrated the major festivals, circumcised their sons, and performed most of the prescribed offerings mentioned in the Bible. Rahabi allegedly introduced the Bnei Israel to the festivals of Shavuot and Sukkot, which they did not celebrate previously, despite the biblical references to the Biracha Roha, or Birda Curry Fast, on the ninth of the month of Av, the Jewish fast day which commemorates the destruction of the Temple. Rahabi also introduced them to Ramazan, reminiscent of the Muslim Ramadan, a fast held throughout the month of Elul, when Jews repented before the New Year and Day of Atonement. Navavicha Roha, the new, or New Year fast, on the third day of Tishrei, which corresponds to the fast of Gedilah, Elijah Hanabicha Orus, or the Feast of Elijah, the prophet, which took place on the same day as the as the Jewish New Year of the Trees, and to Sabi Raja, fast of the fourth month, which took place on the 17th, 17th of the month of Tammuz, commemorating the siege of Jerusalem. The task of regarding communion and religious matters was taken over by three hereditary leaders and, train, and trained by Rahabi. In the 19th century, Cochin Jews became involved in training the Bnei Israel religious leadership. Cochin Jews served among the Bnei Israel community as teachers, cantors, hazanim, and ritual slaughters, shochotchanim. In addition, the religious revival of the Bnei Israel was assisted by the Baghdadi Jews, who transferred their enterprises in the communal and religious institutions for Mac to the commercial centers of Bombay and Kankara from the end of the 18th century on. At the same time, Christian missionaries paradoxically reinforced the Bnei Israel's Jewish identity by tightening their relations with English speakers all over the world. They established schools for the children, educating them in the English language, and translating to the the Jewish prayer book and other religious works from Hebrew into Marathi. This encouraged the Bnei Israel in turn to translate their holy books into English and Marathi. In 1746, the, Div the Vicar family moved to Bombay, where religious freedom was ensured by the British. Their five sons enlisted in, in the East India Company. Samuel Ezekiel de Vicar, promoted in 1775 to the rank of Navy Command and established the first Bnei Israel synagogue in Bombay in, in 1796. Encouraged by the success of this family, more Bnei Israel enlisted with the British forces, some reaching the rank of pseudo-bar major, the highest military rank in, the, in the, the government of India bestowed on a native. The Bnei Israel soldiers received distinctions in the Anglo-Mysore, Anglo-Afghan, and Anglo-Burmese War, and as a group, they remained loyal to the British in the Indian Mutiny of 1857. By the end of the 19th century, when the British changed the, pro the process of army recruitment, the Bnei Israel began to work and turn to white-collar work. In Bombay, the men were also employed as skilled workers in factories and workshops, and some of the women were employed as teachers, nurses, and secretaries. In the course of time, the Bnei Israel community produced renowned doctors, lawyers, writers, architects, professors, social writers, and civil servants. As a result of the opportunities offered to the Bnei Israel by the British by the, at the end of the 19th century, Bnei Israel families began to immigrate to other centers as far as, as field as Burma and Aden. By the 20th century, groups of Bnei Israel moved to the hill stations along the railway lines. A large community was, was settled in Karachi, now Pakistan. In 1921, a Bnei Israel synagogue was established in Pune, and in, and in 1934, another was built in Ahmedabad. In 1956, the Judah Hayam Prayer Hall was opened in New Delhi. The Bnei Israel population steadily increased from 6,000 in the 1830s to 10,000 by the return of the by the turn of the century. At their peak in India in 1948, they numbered 20,000, but by 1961, this number had declined to 16,000 as a result of immigration to Israel. Prior to 1948, the Bnei Israel had displayed little interest in Zionism. 
1897, when they were invited to participate in the First Zionist Congress, they declined on the grounds that the resurrection of Israel was a divine decision and not a human concern. However, in 1920, when the First Zionist Organization was established in India, the B'nai Israel community passed a resolution expressing full sympathy with the, with the Zionist cause. From the 1930s on, the Jewish agency sent emissaries to India to encourage, encourage Zionist activity. When the British were Jew from India in 1947 and the State of Israel was established in 1948, the B'nai Israel began to immigrate to the Jewish state. The B'nai Israel community's integration into Israeli society was not easy. In 1951, a small number of Israel claimed discrimination and demanded reparation. After serious strikes, they, returned, they, were returned, they were returned to India. Most of these Jews re-immigrated at, at a later date. Furthermore, some Orthodox rabbis in Israel did not recognize the B'nai Israel as Jews, and therefore the B'nai Israel faced difficulty marrying other Jews. After 1964, when the religious status of the B'nai Israel was finally settled in Israel, immigration increased. Today, in 2000, as of 2001, <clears throat> there are less than 5,000 Jews in India, the majority of whom are B'nai Israel. The vast majority of B'nai Israel moved from India to Israel, but some 2,000 are settled in English-speaking countries such as Britain, Canada, USA, and Australia. Today, more than 60,000 B'nai Israel, including the children born in Israel to B'nai Israel parents, live in Israel. More than 20 synagogues and prayer halls have been built in India, all of which follow the Orthodox tradition, except the Jewish Religious Union, founded in Mumbai in 1925 by Dr. Jerusha Jirad, a B'nai Israel gynecologist, who in 1966 received the Distinguished Padma Shri Award for outstanding services in the field of social welfare. In 2001, only a handful of these are able to maintain a regular service on Saturdays in the, and in the villages outside Bombay. Several bare synagogues, several beautiful synagogues remain shut. The B'nai Israel themselves never had a rabbi of their own, although individuals versed both in Swati and exclusive B'nai Israel liturgy acted as Hazanim. In recent years, there have been several visiting rabbis sent to Bombay who have served as, as for short spells as well as representatives of the Lubavitch movement. Horsha Fowl is still available in Mumbai. The Medina Israel adhere to their own traditions and rites. In the marriage ceremony, for example, the bride is dressed in a white star and goes to meet the groom as he sings the special Bnei Israel groom song from the podium beam out of the synagogue. Elijah the prophet is evoked on all auspicious, all auspicious occasions, including circumcision and purification after childbirth. The most important Jewish family Jewish festivals for the B'nai Israel, Rosh Hashanah, Yom Kippur, Simha, Torah, and Passover. On Rosh Hashanah, the whole community appears in its finery in synagogue, and between Rosh Hashanah and Yom Kippur, it is customary to visit friends and family. On Yom Kippur, the community dresses exclusively in white. The B'nai Israel arrive at the synagogue before dawn. On Simha Torah, they celebrate by dancing merrily in the synagogue with Torah scrolls. On, on Passover, B'nai Israel make matzah, whitewash their houses, and tin their copper pots. In 1875, uh, 18, yeah, 1875, the B'nai Israel Benevolent Society for Promoting Education established the Israelite School, an English-language primary school which developed into high school in 1892. In the 1930s, the school became known as the Eli Kaduri School after its benefactor and taught its pupils, most of whom were Jewish, Hebrew as well as English and Marathi. Today, the school has become a Marathi-language school in which none of the pupils are Jewish. The Israelites old uh, the Israelite School Old Students Union, which later became known as the Maccabean Fellowship, was established in 1917 and in its heyday in the 1950s, it, it attracted hundreds to social gatherings. The Jacob Sasson Free School was founded at the end of the 19th century as an English school for Baghdad, Baghdad children in Bombay. Although at a first for quarter for Bain Israel peoples was imposed, by the 1970s near all, nearly all of its Jewish peoples, 125 out of 400, were Bene Israel. In 2001, there, there, there were hardly any Jewish peoples at the school. And the Bombay ORT School for Boys was established in 1962 and 
the school for girls in 1970. In 2001, there were still a small number of Jewish peoples who received technical and vocational training, many of them later emigrating to Israel with knowledge of Hebrew. Communal life in India has been characterized by many social and charitable organizations. The Extreme Adele, which was established in 1913 as a women's organization, is still active today. The Home for Destitutes and Orphans, which caters for a handful of elderly people, was established in its present form in 1934. A variety of other sports clubs, Zionist organizations, and charitable and credit associations have been in operation over the years. The B'nai Israel in India today represent a small struggling community surviving through the efforts of Jewish organizations like the AJDC, American Jewish Distribution Committee, which organized the baking of matzah for the entire Jewish community in India for the for the Pesach or Passover festival in 2001. Owing to large-scale immigration, communal activity has now, has now declined, and the B'nai Israel newspapers and periodicals, once prophetic, are now published infrequently. Notwithstanding, this consolidation is taking place between the different Indian Jewish communities, and connections have been forged with different Jewish groups in Israel and in, in the United States. The B'nai Israel who remain in India can be divided into two subgroups. Subgroups: those who stay because of their overriding attachment to India, and those who were immigrated to Israel and reunite with their families and the majority of their community. The former group includes Indian nationalists, non-Zionists, and those who are too old to envisage immigration. The latter group includes Zionists who see the eventual future of the Indian Jewish community in Israel, in spite of hundreds of years of harmonic coexistence with the non-Jewish population of India. They are also recognized as officially as judges in disputes within the B'nai Israel community. Somewhere along the line, the B'nai Israel formed a special attachment to the prophet Elijah. They, his, they invoke his blessings on all auspicious occasions. Another typically B'nai Israel feature is their, their custom called Melita, i.e. the preparation of a ceremonial food offering composed of special ingredients, accompanied by the recitation, by, by recitation, rec, recitation of Jewish prayers, psalms, and other appropriate biblical quotations on the occasion of purification after childbirth. Preparation for a wedding, when taking and after completing a vow, after circumcision, and for all other auspicious occasions, whenever there is a crisis or need for divine help, for the expression of gratitude to God, and on Tubushva to celebrate the first fruit of their locale, and also to give respect to the prophet Elijah Kandala, the place where he is believed to have appeared to the B'nai Israel. In the mid 18th century, many B'nai Israel moved from their villages into the rapidly developing new city, Bombay. Here, the horizons of the B'nai Israel widened as they benefited from the educational and employment opportunities offered under British rule. The British authorities were anxious to recruit reliable soldiers to their native regiments. Some B'nai Israel had already served in the army or in the navy of other Kankan tenants, and many enlisted under the British. Most of these rose to officer rank and established a reputation as good fighters in the Anglo-Mysore, Anglo-Afghan, and Anglo-Burmese wars of the 18th and 19th centuries. They were also efficient civil servants. An impetus to the to to uh, an impetus to the return to traditional Judaism was given to the B'nai Israel through the co cooperation of Cochin Jews who visited Bombay and the Konkine villages, and through the new wave of immigration of Arabic-speaking Jews from Baghdad to Bombay in the early decades of the 19th century. The secular education of the B'nai Israel was considerably influenced by congregational missionaries from America who opened schools both in Bombay and in the outlying towns and villages. They trained B'nai Israel to become teachers in these schools, and it was, it, it was in these schools that the B'nai Israel got their first understandable introduction to be to to be to the Bible. Then in eighteen then in eighteen twenty six a Jew from Cochin who converted to Christianity, Michael Sargon, was deputed was deputed to work to work among the B'nai Israel. He not only devoted his energy to teaching them in the Marathi language without any attempt at proselytization, but he also mediated in their disputes. 
Somewhat later, the most celebrated of all Christian missionaries to work among the B'nai Israel, the Reverend John Wilson of the Scottish Presbyterian Mission, started his educational activities among them. In 1832, he published a Hebrew grammar in Marathi, and B'nai Israel studied Hebrew in the high school and in the college founded by him. Gradually, the missionaries withdrew from the field of primary education, and the B'nai Israel took their education into their own hands. H.S. Kahimkar, in collaboration with his brother in A.D. Pazarkar started a primary school in 1875, and it later became necessary to solicit for funds, and generous aid was given by the Anglo-Jewish Association of London, Jewish philanthropists in England and France, members of the Hassan family, and the government of Bombay. The school, with its own building, grew into the high school teaching Marathi, English, and Hebrew. Originally called the Israelite School, the name was changed in the early 1930s to Ally Kadori School, in recognition of a large donation um, uh, earmarked for the reconstruction and inspection of, old, of the old school buildings by Sir Eli Kaduri of Hong Kong. Religious development was also much facilitated for the Bene Israel by translations of the Old Testament by an association of Protestant Christian missionaries on, of all denominations beginning in the early 20, 20s of the 19th century. Since, since his establishment in 1857, Bombay University included he, uh, Hebrew in his curriculum. Originally, the communal organization, religious as well as secular, of the Bnei Israel was headed by the Kachis. With the establishment of synagogues, the first established in 1796 by Bombay by Bnei Israel Army Samuel Ezekiel de Vicar was named Sha'ar HaRachamim, Gate of Mercy. The secular function of the Kachis were, were gradually taken over by the Mukadams, who, who either were the most prominent persons in the local community or who succeeded their fathers in the office. In large synagogues, in large synagogue congregations, the Muk Mukadams were aided by the Chogas, or counselors. Eventually, the ritual functions of the Kajis came to be performed by the Hazanim, who were, who were initially recruited by, from Cochin, but later also among the Bnei Israels themselves. The Bnei Israel established additional synagogues in Mambay, Sha'ar Razan in 1839, Eitz Haim in 1888, and Magen Hasidim in 1931, and also suffered several prayer halls. From 1848 onwards, the Bnei Israel synagogues were, all, were also established in 12 towns from, from, on the Konkan coast, and a far field in the cities of Pune, uh, Medahabad, Karachi, now Pakistan, and New Delhi. The, the relations between Bnei Israel and the Hindu and Muslim communities of the Konkan coast proved to be very peaceful. The only thing that Bnei Israel found upsetting that the, that the neighbors did not did uh, the neighbors did not always identify them as Jews and until well into the second half of the 20th century associated them with the caste of oil oppressors because of the tradition traditional occupation of the ancestors though they were though already in the later British period the occupations of the Bnei Israel were quite diverse apart from serving in the British native regiments they were employed in, as civil servants in government railway postal and custom offices as teachers hospital assistants nurses many were skilled carpenters masons and mechanics but very few were engaged in trade or commerce. Many Bnei Israel who, who attended Anathanstone, Wilson, and other colleges affiliated to Bombay University became known well as engineers, lawyers, physicians, educators, architects, writers, and social workers. Prominent among the lead educators in the 19th century were Chaim Samuel Kemhinkar, Kemhinkar historian of the community, and, Do and Joseph Ezekiel Rajpurkar, writer and translators of Hebrew liturgical works into Marathi. One of the er earliest liturgical works to be printed but was by a Yemeni Jew from Cochin, Solomon Shaarabi, Salhilot, according to the Sparty Rite in 1841. It was fo followed by the publication of the Hebrew calendar uh, and the first Passover Haggadah.
with the Marathi translation. From the last decade of the 19th century, the B'nai Israel published a number of journals and periodicals in Marathi and English. Some of them were short-lived, but the Israeli community continued from 1917 to 1927. The Friend of Israel lasted from 1916 to 1921, and the Maccabi from 1946 to 1971. In the first half of the 20th century, some B'nai Israel participated in the Indian National Movement. B'nai Israel, who received uh, Padma Shri, one of the highest awards of the Government of India, awarded on Indian Independence Day to outstanding individuals in various fields of endeavor are uh, Dr. Miss Jerusha Jacob Girad in 1966 for her wor work in gynecology and for her services in social welfare, Mr. David Abram Chalukar in 1969 for his character acting in Indian films, and Dr. Ruben David Dandekar Den in 1975 for her outstanding work and originally originality as a superintendent of the Ahmedabad Zoo. The fourth Indian Jew to receive the Padama Shri Award is a member of the Baghdadi Jewish community of Bombay, Mr. Ezra Mir, in 1970 for his outstanding work in making Indian documentary films and children documentaries. Among the many other B'nai Israel who achieved careers of distinction in India are Khan Bahur Jacob Bador Israel, who, who as a chief administrator in the state of Andhu, made specific innovations for rural development and many decades before similar reforms were begun elsewhere. Uh, Shalom Ban Bapuji Israel, who from ordinary police constable rose to the day one of the Jandira state. Do Dr. Abraham Solomon Al-Rukar, an ardent nationalist who's attended upon Mahatma Gandhi's during almost all of his fast, not all, not as, not as Gandhi's personal physician, especially in his capacity as the, the, the as then president of Indian Medical Council, David Solomon El Rukar, who was the junior counsel for the defense in the famous trial of the freedom fighter Lokamanya B.G. Tilak, a Hindu, working together with the senior counsel in the case, a famous Muslim, Muhammad Ali Jinnah. Al-Rukar was also on the governing body of the International Labor Organization of the League of Nations. He founded the Israeli magazine. David Ezra, Ezra Rubin secured first place in the competitive examination for admission to the Indian Civil Service in 1917. He was the only B'nai Israel to ever serve in the ICS. He was made Chief Justice in 1951 of the Patna Court in Bihar State. Ms. Rebecca Rubin obtained her TD degree from London University and was, the, was principal of the Israelite School in 1922 to 1950. Issued a monthly journal for her, for Jewish children called Nof, n n no written in Marathi it served as an excellent tool for education written in Marathi it served as an excellent tool for education in things Jewish authored a highly successful series of English readers for secondary schools also gram grammar and guides for teachers Dr Elijah Moses Mayor of Bombay from 1937 to 1938 several officers in the Indian Army. Navy and Air Force, notably including Vice Admiral Benjamin Abraham Sampson, former commandant, commandant of the Indian Defense Army, who defended the Western Fleet during hostilities with Pakistan in 1965, subsequently managing director Marcus Landox, where he supervised the construction of the first two Indian built frigates. Major, Jonathan, uh, Major General Jonathan Reuben Sampson of the Indian Engineers. Now general manager of the armored vehicle factory at Abdadi, Madras. Lieutenant, uh, Lieutenant Colonel Joseph Girad, commander of the 8th Battalion Garwal Rifles, who was killed in action in September 1966 during the Indo-Pakistan War. Elijah Ephraim Girad, who served as Judge Advocate General of the Indian Navy between the late 1940s and by the, the mid-1960s. Girad also served with distinction during World War II and was awarded MBE by the British government. 
He was also a founding member of the of the Judah Haim Hall, which later became the Ju, Ju, Judah Haim Synagogue in New Delhi. Educators included Dr. Sarah Jacob, principal of the Jaipur Gov Government Medical College, Dr. Elazar Moses Best, Dean of BJ Medical College and Superintendent of Civil Hospital Ahmedabad, Ms. Mir Jacob Medavan, author and innovative, innovative social worker who conceived and developed a network of mobile crutches and schools for the impoverished, neglected children of internet laborers, Solomon Shalom Aptekar, popular author and playwright of the 1920s, uh, Joseph David Pankar, pioneer in the in Indian screen industry, script and songwriter, and team Ezekiel, highly rated Indian poet writing in English, editor, art critic, playwright, re playwright, reader in American literature at Mumbai, formerly Bombay University, Dr. Esther Solomon, PhD Sanskrit Sanskritist at Gujarat University, Samuel Israel, director of the National Book, uh, Trust, National Book Trust of India since 1974, Ezra Collett, formerly in government service in the finance ministry, later in the Ministry of Shipping and Transport as Chief Comptroller of Chartering and, and as additional secretary to the ministry, the moving spirit of the Delhi Jewish community, and founder, secretary of, and violinist of the Delhi Symphony Orchestra, Judah Rubin, India's only true Jewish umpire cricket member of, of the All India Panels of Umpires. Most B'nai Israel congregations became affiliated in, in reality very loosely with either the World Council of Synagogues, Conservative, or with the older or with or, or with the Union of Orthodox Jewish Congregations. The significant development in the religious field was the establishment in nineteen twenty five of the Jewish Religious Union in Bombay and Dr. Jerusha Girad, who, upon her return from medical training in England, used the organization London organization as their prototype. In Bombay, this was an entirely spontaneous move without outside financial help. Through, though, though prayer books and other literature were obtained from liberal Jewish synagogues of London. The Bombay Jewish Religion Union was one of the founder members of the World Union for Progressive Judaism, established in, 19, in 1926, and made, annual, and made a small annual contribution towards its expenses. In the 1950s, the Bombay congregation's own funds were sub supplemented with financial aid from, from circles of progressive Judaism outside India and from Sassan Trust Funds, which all, all of which in the, enabled the Bombay Jewish Religious Union, now called the con now called Congregation Rodef Shalom, to obtain premises of its own and the service of two young rabbis, both graduates of Hebrew Union College. In, in August 1957, Rabbi Hugo Grin, for more than two full years, followed by Rabbi, Rabbi Elisha Natif for about three years, ministered to this congregation and exerted an influence among the Jews of Bombay far beyond 300 members of the Congregation Rodef Shalom. The first context of the B'nai Israel with the modern Zionist movement go back to the time of Theodore Herzl. In 1897, the B'nai Israel were invited to participate in the first Zionist Congress. They refused with the, with the explanation that the community was waiting for the Divine Hand to bring them back to Zion. The first Zionist Association was founded in Bombay in 1919. Visits of Zionist leaders such as Israel Cohen in 1921, the first Zionist emissary to India on behalf of the World Zionist Organization, and subsequently Emmanuel Olsvanger, and others simulate, stimulated the community's interest in and in support of the Jewish national home. In the second half of the 20th century, the numbers of the Bene Israel community have uh, de uh, significantly, de significantly decreased due to the emigration of its members to Israel, Europe, and the Americas. In the early years of the, the 21st century, there were approximately 4,000 4, Bene Israel left in India, most of them living in the Maharashtra state. Other Bene Israel communities function in Ahmedabad and New Delhi. Communities maintain a number of synagogues and prayer halls, such as the Megen Hasidim and Tiferet Irzul synagogues in Mumbai, formerly Bombay, and the Shah Hamashim uh, synagogue in Thane. 
In some places, there was a regular minyan. In others, there were ser services on Saturday morning and not on Friday nights, and, or on high holidays only. The first synagogue on Mavay celebrated its bicentenary in February 1996. David Rahabi was surprised to find the B'nai Israel community which followed some Jewish traditions and festivals. He decided to enlighten them with all, all the Jewish traditions. He chose three men from the B'nai Israel community and taught them the Talmud, taught them Talmud and other Jewish books. These three people became known as Kaji, meaning judge in Arabic, and were religious and social leaders of the B'nai Israel community. And so, it, it is believed, began the revivification of the B'nai Israel Jews towards Judaism. Later on in the 18th century, the Cochini Jews and other Jewish communities also began to associate religiously with the Bene Israel Jews, a very important non-Jewish community that had an impact on the Bene Israel with the Christian missionaries. In the 18th century, many Christian missionaries came to India. Some of them had an anthropological interest in India. They began with their own theories about the origins of Bene Israel, and other researchers, including the Bene Israel themselves, also began theorizing the origins of the Bene Israel. Different researchers came to different conclusions. Among the theories, there were a few which came to the conclusion that the Bnei Israel forefathers arrived in India before the destruction of the Second Temple, and this is because Bnei Israel, meaning the children of Israel or the sons of Israel, did not call themselves Jew Jews in the narrow sense. The Jews are descendants uh, only from the two tribes of the children of Israel, Yehuda and Benjamin. For the same reason, other others concluded that the uh, Indian Bnei uh, Israel are from the lost tribes, which are the ten tribes of the twelve tribes of the children of Israel, from Assyrians exiled from the land of Israel in 800 BCE, and uh, and what happened of them is not known, and are therefore called the Lost Tribes. Others concluded that the Bnei Israel originated from the tribe of Zebulun and Asher, and that's because the Bnei Israel engaged in the profession of oil pressing, which is believed to be the profession popular among the tribes of Zebulun and Asher. Other reasons that support the theory that the Bnei Israel Jews are in India for over 2,000 years is the fact that they weren't aware of the other main Jewish the, uh, they weren't aware of the main Jewish tradition, which evolved in Judaism between 200 B.C. to 300 A.D. Others concluded that the Bnei Israel are Jews who came to India from Arab countries at a much later period, somewhere around the 7th century A.D., and there are other theories among them that is the Bnei Israel aren't, aren't at all of Israeli origin. Kajis fulfilled the religious jobs of the community. The Kajis' profession was, her, profession was hereditary. From the 18th century, the Bnei Israel developed contact and communication with other Jewish communities, and especially with the Cochini Jews, who lived in the south part of India, the present state of Kerala, and with Jews from Iraq and Yemen. The, con the contacts and communication with the Yemen Jews st started when the Bnei Israels, who were the soldiers in the Indian British Army, were posted at Aden in Yemen. The British in Aden had their prayer hall in Aden and later on brought Yemenite Jewish candidates to India, so adopting the Yemenite style of praying. Because of the Yemenite way of praying, some researchers wrongly presumed that the Bnei Israel originated from Yemen. In the first synagogue of the Bnei Israel Jews, the cantors were mainly Yemenite, Iraqi, or Cochini. After, after the cantors, the Bnei Israel began to bring Indian Jewish circumcised and butchers from Yemen, and so the Kajis lost their traditional positions as head of the community. The Bnei Israel have very few have a few Jewish customs that is almost unique to them. The community members, almost in every Thanksgiving ceremony, maintain a ritual called Melita. Melita is a home ritual which all the men sit around a plate full of roasted rice, uh, fruits, spices, and flowers. In the ceremony, they sing, pro they sing songs praising the Lord. In the main song, they also praise Prophet Elijah as a precursor of the Mashiach. The Bnei Israel legend also narrates of two occasions when Prophet Elijah visited them and returned to heaven. The first occasion occurred immediately after the arrival of, the, of Bnei Israel onto the coast of Konkan. On this occasion, he revivified the, un the unconscious, unconscious Bnei Israels who swam to the beach from the sea. The second occasion occurred at a much later period. 
At this at this visit, the the Bnei Israel believe Prophet Elijah also left a footprint from where he rose to heaven. In this place, in the village of Kandala near Alibag, there's also a tourist there is also a tourist town by the same near by the same name near Pune and Mahasha, and that's a different place. The Bnei Israel used to have religious rituals. Another custom to the Bnei Israel was abstaining from eating beef. The majority of Indians are Hindus. The Hindus believe that cow is sacred, and therefore, to maintain good relations with their Hindu neighbors, they abstain from eating beef and instead ate mutton. Another custom of the Bnei Israel, inspired by the Hindu neighbors, was not remarrying of widows and not ma maintaining the levirate marriage, a, a Jewish custom which commands the marriage between the widow and her dead husband brother if the ma man dies childless. The Bnei Israels were also less strict about the kosher laws. They didn't keep two complete sets of kitchen utensils, but only two sets of cooking utensils. The Bnei Israels divide their community into two groups, Gora and Kala. Gora, meaning white, are majority in the community and they're both their parents of the Jewish religion. Kala, meaning black, is a smaller group whose father is of Israeli origin, but mother is non-Jewish. These two groups used to pray together, but the Goras didn't accept the Kalas as complete Jews and didn't get men with them, nor did they marry with them. The Goras also didn't allow the Kalas to hold the safer or to blow the shofar. The Vikar, with other Bnei Israel, served as a soldier of the British, of the British in India. In one of the wars against the Kingdom of Mysore in South India, he with other British Indian soldiers was captured. The, kingdom, the King of Mysore, Tipu Sultan, was a Muslim. He used to execute the captured soldiers, but when his mother, serves of, mother, mother heard of the Bnei Israel captive, she begged her son to spare the Bnei Israel soldiers because the Bnei Israel are referred to in the Holy Muslim Quran as the chosen people of the Almighty. Many claim that if the Bnei Israel had called themselves Yehudi, Jew, and not Bnei Israel, they would have been executed because the Quran looks negatively at Jews, but in more a more positive way looks at Bnei Israel, Israeli, the Bnei Israel. After being spared, Samuel de Vicar decided to thank the Lord by building a synagogue. Later, later on, more synagogues were built by the Bnei Israel in, in India. There was even a reformed Jewish synagogue built in 1925. Among the synagogues, the synagogue in the town of Panvel near Mumbai is considered special and sacred where it is believed, where it is believed prayer, prayers are fulfilled. Until the 20th century, the Bnei Israels referred to themselves as Bnei Israels or Israels, and not as Jews. In the 20th century, they slowly began to refer to themselves as Jews, but not, but normally they re, they used to refer to themselves as Bnei Israel and to Jew and to the Jews from Arab countries who settled in India, Baghdadi Jews as Yehudi. In some of the birth and in some of the birth certificates and other legal documents of the early 20th century, the religion was specified as Bnei Israel and not Jew. Many Indians, non-Jewish of West Mahasha, even today refer to the Jews as Bnei Israel or Israel and not as Jew. The Bnei Israel as a community weren't a powerful influential community in the local area, but there were among them who advanced to high ranks in the armies of local rulers. Some of them also got land from the local rulers as a price for their services. After the British arrived to India, many Bnei Israel joined the British forces in India and fought the British Empire empire and their different wars around the world. Later on, the Bnei Israel adopted the profession of building contractors and other new modern professions that emerged in India such as office clerks, law, modern medicine, and other professions. There are some Bnei Israels who reached to high, who, to reach, who, who high positions of judges, lawyers, doctors, institute managers, and administrator, administrative or other high-ranking officers in government services. The Bnei Israel population at their height was perhaps 30,000 in India, and that was in the 1950s. Proportionally, they weren't even at 0.01% of the Indian population. Since the 1950s, most of the Bnei Israel have immigrated to Israel and some to English-speaking countries like Australia and England. Today in India, there are less than 5,000 Bnei Israels. Most of them live in Tana.
a suburb of Mumbai. Of three, of three Jewish communities in India, the Bnei Israel, the Cochin Jews, and the Iraqis, or Baghdadis, that, that, that of the Bnei Israel of Maharashtra in Western India was by far the largest. Numbering perhaps 20,000 at its peak in the early 1950s, the majority of the Bnei Israel have since left their homeland, most going to Israel, so that only about 5,000 remain in India. By the end of the last century, there are over 50,000 individuals of Bnei Israel origin in Israel, with the community there extending into the fourth generation. Never having experienced anti-Semitism in India, Bnei Israel the world over have fond memories of and deep attachment to their native land. Although lower-class women in the 19th and early 20th centuries often left school early and some families feared that a highly educated girl would have difficulties finding a husband, many girls from middle-upper-class families were educated from the late 19th century on at Kuzurpaga High School for Indian Girls, a famous boarding school in Pune, where Marathi was the language of instruction. Three Bene Israel women, Rachel Varulkal, Abigail Moses, and Moselle Isaac, served as principals of this school. By the mid-20th century, most, of the, most girls from these families, like those from the Hindu upper caste, switched to English language schools, which their brothers had been attending earlier. After completing university in India, especially talented Bene Israel women, like their male counterparts, continued their education in England. The Bnei Israel Mahashtra in, in Western India was the largest of three Jewish communities in India, numbering about 20,000 at its peak in the early 1950s. Though the majority have since immigrated to Israel, it was the Bnei Israel women who were the producers and preservers of the group's unique culture. It was the women with their strong religious beliefs who were deemed to have the power to hold the family together. After moving to Israel, educator Fior Flora Samuel organized the Indian Women's Organization, which aids Indian women in preserving and demonstrating the culture and customs of the community. From the late 19th century onwards, Bnei Israel girls from middle and upper class families were well educated, many attending university in India and then going on, on to England for further studies. Educator Rebecca Rubin became the first woman to rank in the matriculation examination for Bombay University and then went on to study at the University of London and Cambridge University. She later became principal of the Bnei Israel School in Bombay. Bnei Israel were among the first women to enter the nursing and teaching fields and had a particularly strong impact in Bombay and in the, in the, in the latter arena. Preferring to teach girls rather than co-educational schools, they, not, they taught not only academic subjects but also music, handicrafts, and, and gym. Several, people, several became principals. Later, a number of Bnei Israel women worked in government service and, other and others became physicians and lawyers. In Israel, they have gone into science, medicine, law, psychology, education, social work, business, clerical work, and hairdressing, and other fields. Although they preferred to not marry out of the community, Bnei Israel women sometimes did and still do, especially if a highly educated woman cannot find a suitable way with, mate within the community. They also had an option of remaining single and supporting themselves through their own careers before this became acceptable for middle-class Hindu women. There are still efforts to arrange marriages, or at least to introduce young people, both in India and Israel. In Israel, their homes, in Israel, their ho in their homes and women organizations, the women are also the main preservers of Indian Jewish culture. Although they normally wear Western clothes, they will don saris or other Indian-style dress for weddings, henna ceremonies, and other events. Although there are many Bnei, uh, individual Bnei Israel women who have made important, important contributions to the community and country, the achievements of only a few from Israel, Indian Israel can be singled out. Space prohibits the inclusion of Bnei Israel women who have settled in the West. Dr. Uh, Jerusha Girad from 1890 to 1984. 
the first female Indian Jewish physician, was the distinguished gynecologist in Bombay. She was the first woman to be awarded the Government of India Scholarship to study in the United Kingdom, where she earned an MD in obstetrics and gynecology from the University of London. She explained and improved. She expanded and improved the the command all all bless. Uh, hospitals for women and children in Bombay during her tenure as the superintendent from 1928 to 1949 and served as president of the Gynecological and Obstetric Society. For, th for these achievements and her efforts to improve the medical education in India and advance the cause of women, women doctors, she was awarded the MBE, Member of the British Empire, Civil, by the British and, and in 1966 the coveted Padma Shri by the government of India. Dr. G. Girad was also highly appreciated by her community for founding the Sri Mandal Women's Association in 1913, providing a place where women could meet and exchange their ideas. It also offered classes in Marathi, the local language, cooking, needlework, and dressmaking to girls who had not completed their education, and promoted the study of Bible and religion. In 1925, Dr. Girad founded the Jewish Religious Union, which was linked with the World, World Union of Progressive Judaism and provided the only reformed English-speaking alternative to the Orthodox synagogues in Bombay. As such, it attracted upper-middle-class of B'nai Israel. In 1925, Dr. Girard wrote, wrote a short autobiography. Rebecca Rubin, who lived from 1889 to 1957, a well-known educator, was a revered figure in the community whose activities in many spheres enriched the lives of the B'nai Israel. Although Rubin, Rubin's Jewishness was very important to her. She is an outstanding example of the phenomenon that among the Bene Israel it was secular rather than religious leadership that, con that conferred status. In 1905, Rubin, who came from a highly educated family, became the first woman to rank, fir to, to rank first in the matriculation examination for Bombay University, where she specialized in history and Hebrew. She went on to earning a teaching diploma from the user University of London and continued to study Hebrew with Dr. Israel Abrahams at Cambridge University. Born did the lady superintendent of the government's teachers training college at Bardoa or Baroda in 1917. Ruben gave us up a, a promising career in the broader educational arena ordered to serve the B'nai Israel community by becoming the principal of its school, the co-educational Sir Eli Kaduri School in Bombay, a post she held from 1922 to 1950. She was the author of the Ashok Readers, a series of English readers widely used in non-English medium schools in Mahashtra and other instruction materials, and published a monthly magazine for Jewish children, Nofe. Rubin also wrote articles about the B'nai Israel and, ed 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 and edited the B'nai Israel annual and yearbooks from 1917 to 1920. She organized activities for the B'nai Israel, Manda, Women's Association, and the Progressive Jewish Religious Union. She also made significant contributions in the field of education and in Western India, serving on many government boards. In 1947, she represented Indian Jewry at the World War First World Conference for Jewish Education held in Jerusalem. Another important B'nai Israel educator, Flora Samuel, Nae Manik Am Ash Tamkar, from, who lived from 1924 to 1998, was the principal of the Sir Eli School from 1955 to 1964, having previously taught in a number of other schools. She took pride in being known as a strict disciplinarian, a trait that was necessary in a co educational school in India. She was devoted to her community in both India and Israel, where she had settled in 1964. Food in Sanskrit, in which, somewhat unusually for an Indian Jew, she had made it in college. Marathi, English, and Hebrew. Samuel taught Sanskrit for a short time at Hebrew University. In Israel, she continued her work as a teacher, having talked her way out of a refresher course in English, psychology, and educational methods, required her permanent teacher's license by signing her master's degree in education and her years of experience as a principal. Flora Samuel 
continually fought against a lack of in respect for Indian degrees that she felt w was manifested in Israel. At the suggestion of the Namat, the women's branch of the Histadrut, she organized an Indian women's organization with branches in several cities with the idea of instilling confidence among B'nai Israel women, getting them to come out of their homes and participate in community activities, educating them in Israeli ways of child-rearing child child and helping them with their problems, devoting themselves to preserving and demonstrating the culture and customs of the community, of which Samuel was very proud. The, the, the clubs worked with Israel, Israeli museums on exhibitions about Indian Jews. Samuel, who was recognized internationally for her excellent Marathi style, edited My Boli, a quarterly publication which reached B'nai Israel in both India and Israel. She received the Kirtans, early B'nai Israel music dramas based on biblical figures. They were performed in Marathi by the Women's Organization of Lida, which she headed. Samuel was active with the word World Marathi Union and was instrumental in the selection of Israel as the venue for a biennial conference in 1996. Many Indian Marathi writers from all over the world were introduced to Israel as a result. That same year, Flora Samuel published a memoir in Marathi entitled Sanskrutskanam. Sangam. Confluence of Cultures, about experiences in both India and Israel. Mira Jacob Madhavan, who lived from 1930 to 1979, originally from Karachi, made a significant contribution to the socio-economic well-being of India's children by originating and implementing the idea of a network of mobile crutches. These establishments, at first large tents for the basic equipment and later simple brick units, provided educational health services for the neglected children of poor migrant construction workers. The first one opened in 1969. Eventually, these fa uh, facilities, funded domestically and internationally, but also relying heavily on volunteer workers, were set up for city slum dwellers, especially in Dom Delhi and Bombay. At night, the crutches were used for adult literacy and he health education classes. Madhavan also wrote short stories and novella in Hindi, as well as, as a novel entitled Apnar Gar, a, a Home of One's Own, translated into English under, under the title Shulamit. Uh, the novel dealt with members of B'nai Israel family who immigrated to Israel in the 1950s and relationships with those who remained in India. Other B'nai Israel women who remained in India made a, made a mark can be mentioned only briefly. Esther Davis, Esther D David, born 1945, is a sculptor, art critic, and lecturer on art history at the School of Architecture, School of Interior Design, and the National Institute of Fashion Technology in Ahmedabad. Chairperson of the Gujarat State Lalit Kala Academy. She has published three books, The Walled City, 1997, an autobiographical novel about growing up Jewish in Ahmedabad, by the Sabarmati, 1999, a collection of stories about women, and the book of Esther, 2002. Esther Solomon, born 1927, also of Ahmedabad, is a Sanskrit scholar and professor at Gujarat University, was awarded a Presidential Certificate of Honor in 1983 for outstanding contributions to Sanskrit and a Padama Shri in 1992. She also wrote A Short History of the Bene Israel of Gujarat in the Gujarati Language, which was published by the University of Baroda. Sarah Israel, who was born in 1926, is a physician who worked for UNICEF and the World Health Organization. Nina Haims, born 1941, a retired professor of sociology at Wilson College in Bombay, edited a book about her aunt, Rebecca Rubin, in 1899-1957, as well as the occasional series on being Jewish, Indian, and woman. 
others, such as Elizabeth Rubin, born in 1937, a professor of literature, and Rachel Rubin, born in 1934, entomologist and naturalist, had scholarly careers. Rachel Gadker, who was born in 1930, is the editor of Shayali, a popular periodical by, by and, and about B'nai Israel women read in India and Israel. Rivka Israel, born in 1960, is an editor at, Mar at Marg, a leading uh, Indian publisher. Joyce Shan Shankaran, born in 1949, is a, is a highly ranked officer with the Indian Administrative Service in Maharashtra. For future contributions, B'nai Israel women, we, we will most likely have to look mainly to Israel and to Western countries where they have settled. After the attention of the European Jews had been called to the B'nai Israel, the rites and ceremonies of the latter were assimilated to those of Sephardic Jews, and prayer books in Marathi, the, the vernacular, had been, have been provided for them. Previously, however, to this, the festivals and customs differed considerably from the rest of Jews, both in name and in cer and ceremony. The festivals of the Bnei Israel, before they became acquainted with the ordinary religious calendar of modern Jews, had only native names. Once one of one set of which was Mar in Marathi, and the other in Hindus Hindustani. The the latter are attributed to the reforms of David Rahabi. Many of the names in the form ending San, meaning holiday, among and among them are the following: Na Na, Na Vyacha San, New Year holiday. Kept on the first day of Tishrei, the second day of observance not being known among the Bnei Israel, or Rosh Hashanah, basically. Kirachisan, pudding holiday, on the evening of the fourth of Tishrei. This was celebrated by eating kir, a sort of pudding made of new corn mixed with coconut juice and sweets, a censer of burning frankincense being placed near the dish. The kir was eaten by the family after saying the Shema. Not, not a common holiday, not a wide known holiday, only, only specific to the Bnei Israel. Uh, Garfalnicha San, closing of doors holiday on the 10th of Tishrei, which they fasted from 5 o'clock in the evening until the next evening at 7. During it, they did not stir out of doors, nor touch nor speak to, to people of other denominations. They dressed themselves in white and believed that departed souls visited their habitations on the preceding day and left them on the following day, called Shila San, stale holiday, on which day they gave alms to the poor and visited their friends, or, or basically Yom Kippur. Halichasan, on the 13th and 14th of Adar, the former kept as a fast and the latter as a feast, on which they did not send home meats, uh, sweet meats to another. This corresponds to Purim, and the Bnei Israel did not observe the second day, or Sushan Purim. Well, the thing is, you only observe Sushan Purim in Jerusalem, which is a walled city built in the times of Joshua, so you don't really need to observe it, so I don't know what's up with that. Uh, Anasi Dakashasan, da, 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 Anas closing holiday, on the 14th the fourth, the fourteenth, and twenty-first of Nisan. This was celebrated by an earth, earthen chatty or pot containing a sour liquid commonly used as sauce. The, this festival corresponds to Passover, but as Hindus generally do not use any leaven with the rice, the the, the object of the ceremony seems to be seems to have been forgotten. Berda curry holiday on the ninth of Av, which did not ate nothing but rice with. A curry, a burda, or pulse. This was served on plantain leaves. During the preceding eight days, no meat was eaten. This corresponds to Tisha B'Av, in memory of the destruction of the temple, but there does not seem to have any been any conscious recognition of that fact. The other festivals, chiefly known by the name of Raja, fasting, appeared appeared to have been of later introduction and are connected with reforms of David Rahabi. These are as follows. Ramazan, a, a fast held through the month of Elul, the name is doubt, doubtless derived from the Mohammedan month of fasting, Ramadan. 
Navacharoya, New Year fast, on the 3rd of Tishrei, corresponding to the fast of Gelida, but not associated with his murder. Elijah Hanabicha Orus, the, fa the fair of Elijah the prophet, to celebrate the ascension of Elijah on that day at Kanadala in, in the Kalkan. Various kinds of fruit were placed on plates, together with Melita, places, pieces of rice bread besmeared with syrup, and a censer of burning frankincense. The fruit was eaten by the family. Sababi Roja, on the, fat, on, on the fast on the 17th of Tammuz, reminiscent of the siege of Jerusalem, but not known as, but not known as such by the Bene Israel. From this enumeration of the festivals, it will appear that Bene Israel retained from the earliest times, as indicated by the Marathi names ending with San, the New Year, Day of Atonement, Purim, Passover, Ninth of Av, and addition for a form of tabernacles which have been transferred at the, to the 4th of Tishrei. Later on, they introduced, doubtless, of, in, doubtless under the influence of Deva Rahabi, uh, as shown by the Hindustani names, the fast of Gedila, Tevet, and Tammuz, uh, Tevet, Tevet um, get together with the new year of the trees, associated with the name, with the name of Elijah the prophet, while, while still later, the custom of fasting throughout the whole month of Elul seems to have been borrowed from the Mohammedans. The Feast of Pentecost and Hanukkah seem to have dropped out of use. It would appear that before the second revival under Samuel de Velkar, the only other remains of Judaism current among the Bene Israel were the strict observance of the Shabbat, circumcision, and the reading of the Shema, which is the sole piece of Hebrew retained by them. The latter was said at every meal, at wedding festivals, at burial fe feasts, and, and indeed on all sacred occasions. The only animals considered fit for food were fowl, sheep, and goats. The Bene Israel probably refrained from beef in order to not offend their Hindu neighbors. Is it difficult at this time to determine with any degree of accuracy the relative age of the customs they follow? Even before the religious revival of 1796, the Bene Israel customarily removed the sciatic nerve from animals used for food, and they salted the meat in order to abstract the blood from it. Otherwise, they did not observe the law of Shita and Badika. They also left a morsel of bread or rice in a little dish they had dined. Among them, the birth of a girl was celebrated on the sixth night, and that of a boy on the sixth and eighth. And on the late and on the later day, the rite of circumcision was performed. Girls were usually betrothed some months before marriage, and until the wedding, they wore hair flowing from their shoulders. At the Bernhardt ceremony, they intended the bride and the bridegroom sat face to face and dined together, sweet and wife's being served to the assembly. On the day when the marriage ceremony was to, ceremony was to take place, the bridegroom, who had been crowned with a wreath of feathers, was led in procession on horseback to the bride's house. On the day when the marriage ceremony, ceremony was to take place, the bridegroom, who had been crowned with a wreath of flowers, was led in procession on, on uh, horseback to the bride's house, and the ceremony took place under a booth. At the feast held before the wedding took place, a dish containing a piece of leaven cake, a liver of goat, fried eggs, and a twist, twig of subja was placed with burning frankincense on white cloth, and after the shema had been re repeated, the dish was taken inside, and with the exception of five pieces of the cakes and liver, which were set aside for the person officiating as priest, the food was eaten. Polygamy is allowed, and in some cases, divorce is given according to the civil law, but the Bene Israel did not practice get yipum or halitza, and adulteress and her issue are regarded as black Israel. After burials, the, mourner, the mourners wash both themselves and their clothes, and on the third day, the house the house is cleared, the cleanse, and the ceremony uh, tizova, or a third day cleansing. When a person died, all the water was emptied from the pots in the house, and the body was buried with, 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 the, head, with the head towards the east. Great juice and milk was drunk by those visiting the mourners in the evening and during the days of mourning. It was customary for relatives and friends to bring meals of condolence to the house of mourning. On the seventh day after, the, after burial, there was a mourning ceremony known as 
Jaruth, in which a dish containing cakes and a piece, pieces of liver and a glass of liquor was placed on a white sheet. After repeating Shema about a dozen times, the contents of the glass were drunk in honor of the dead, and after the food was eaten, the chief mourner was presented with a new turban by a relative. Jaruth was also observed on the first six and twelve months. If a boy were born after a vow made by the by the mother, his hair was not shaved for six to seven years, after which period it was completely shaved and weighed against coins, gold or silver, to be given in charity. The shaved hair was thrown into the sea and not burned. A feast was held in the evening, at which which at which the mother was informed that she was free from her vow. Formerly, B'nai Israel wore turbans, but now they but now they use the mainly Turkish fez. The woman adopted the Hindu dress and are accustomed to wear anklets and nose rings. Most of the B'nai Israel names have been changed from Hebrew to Hindu forms, thus Ezekiel to Hazaji, Benjamin into Bunaji, Abraham into Abaji, Samuel to Samaji, Elijah to Eloji, Isaac to Esaji, Joseph to Ez Ezoji, Moses into Musaji, Ra Rahamim into Ra Ramaji, David into Dawudji, and Jacob into Akobji. The sur their surnames are most derived from neighboring villages. Thus, who reside at Kehim were called Hem Kehemkar, and those who lived at Pen were called Penkar. About 1975, Samuel Ezekiel Devikar, a Bene Israeli soldier in the East India Company's service, was captured by Tipu, Tipu Sahib. He made a vow that if escaped, he would build a synagogue at Bombay. He succeeded in escaping and built the synagogue Magen David, the now called Sha'ar Ha'arachimi, at Bombay, and introduced the Sephardic ritual from Kochi. The Bene Israel, uh, shortly afterward, attracted the attention of Christian missionaries of Bombay, who, who about 1812 brought Michael Sargon from Cochin, who, though a convert to Christianity, opened schools for the Bene Israel in Bombay, Renabanda, and Pali for over 30 years, explaining them to the children parts of the Old Testament and rarely, if ever, speaking of Christianity to them. The chief instrument in introducing the full knowledge of Judaism to the Bene Israel was Shlomo. Shurabi, who was wrecked near Bombay about 1836 and for 20 years acted as a religious instructor for the community. Owing to his influence, several new synagogues were built in the vicinity of Bombay, and as a general interest in the religion was shown by the Bene Israel. The advent of the Sassoons at Bombay brought the Bene Israel into connection with the real life of Israel, and the family, as well as Christian missionaries, liberally, re liberally supported religious, philanthropic, and educational establishments for the benefit of the Bene Israel. A special school for them was established in July 1875, which, owing to the support given by the Anglo-Jewish Association, was enlarged in 1881 and now accommodates about 270 children. As their native name implies, the original Bene Israel were mainly oilmen or oilmen or oil pressers. But during the existence of the East India Company, many of them adopted the career of soldier and obtained the highest rank, that of Siddhar Badahor. Owing to the spread of education among them, several had gone into learned professions and became engineers, doctors, and teachers. Of recent years, many works suitable for instruction have been translated into Marathi for the benefit of, Bene, of the Bene Israel, chiefly by the exertions of Joseph Ezekiel, who works who works cover the whole cycle of Jewish ritual and liturgy, besides treatises on the Jewish religion and textbooks of Hebrew grammar. In addition to these, several newspapers in Marathi were published, among them the Bene Israeli Lamp of Judaism. The task of determining with any degree of exactness the amount of Jewish blood at that at the, that at present pervades the Bene Israel is a very difficult one. In appearance, they differ but slightly from their neighbors. They, they themselves are proud are, are proud of their purity of descent and point and point to the care uh, taken by the Jews of Cochin to separate black Jews or proselytes from the whites. 
The use of the word Ramazan for the feast of the month of Lul, for the feast of the month of Lul might seem to indicate that they were originally Mohammedans and were converted to Judaism by David or Habi. But on the other hand, it may have been the only word that was adopted. The custom of fasting during that month being derived from the Sephardic ritual, which is that which is which is that current in, which is that current in Cochin. If originally Jews, the Bene Israel retained very little of Jewish custom until the re revival under the Vicar, except the introduction of Shabbat, the repetition of Shema, and the rest time's rite of circumcision. But in this, they resembled the, Jew the Jews in China, who appeared to kept the purity of the sin almost up to the present time. The Bene Israel lived in isolation from other Jewish communities and only reestablished contact in the 18th century, following the arrival of David Rahabi who lived from 1694 to 1772, and Samuel de Vercar, who lived from 1730 to 1797, for Kochi. Subsequently, in the early 19th century, they also came into contact with Arab-speaking Jews from Baghdad who settled Mumbai. Along with the arrival of these new groups, rabbinical Judaism, hitherto unknown among the Bene Israel, has started to gain a substantial following, resulting in the construction of a number of synagogues. The first of them, a Sephardic synagogue, having been built in 1796, and of yeshivas, which, among other things, made it possible for children to learn Hebrew. In the years 1968-1969, approximately 12,000 members of the B'nai Israel chose to leave for Israel, though about 6,000 decided to stay in India. However, following their arrival in Israel, they faced problems with adapting to the rest of the society. In particular, the differences pertaining to the religious laws of marriage and divorce have become a serious problem. Initially, the chief rabbinate of Israel did not did not allow them to marry other Jews. This, however, caused an outrage and was fiercely opposed by many. It was only in 1964 when Prime Minister Levi Eskol decided that members of the Bene Israel were, were to be considered as having the same rights as other Jews, as all other Jews. The rabbinate decided that it would declare marriage valid in each marriage valid in each marriage valid in each individual case. In the 18th century, they emigrated to Mumbai, Thane and Pune, seeking service in the British administration and army, and the community community finally became financially successful. They held military and administrative positions while living under the control of various regimes, including the Portuguese, the Marathas, the Cities, as well as the British. The Portuguese controlled the towns of the northern Kankan where they lived, such as Navagawan, Alibag, Revdanda, and Kortai, until all the Marathas seized them at the end of the 17th century, only to be overcome by the British. As the book is organized around three geographical areas, Bombay and its suburbs, the villages of the northern Kankan and Pune, the landmarks of both Bene Israel and Baghdadis, are presented together in each section. The most substantial section relates to the Mumbai and its suburbs that boast many double photographs and its synagogues that belong to both communities, graveyards, statues, mansions, and other public buildings. Manvi and Bukula and Mazgaon have an Israeli Mohalla where a large B'nai Israel community settled in the 18th century. Featured in the book are several synagogues and a cemetery from the area, as also several buildings in the Baikola Jewish compound, many of which were built by the Sassons, including the Lady Rachel Sasson Dispensary, Sasson Guesthouse, and the Sir Jacob Sasson High School. There are also places of interest like the Jewish Cemetery in Worli and the Kurla B'nai Israel Prayer Hall, that was opened in 1946 in response to the shift in the community to the northern suburbs. Thane, where the Shah Shamayim Synagogue is located, boasts the largest surviving Jewish community, Mahasha. The synagogue is the most vibrant center of the B'nai Israel life and sit in the city. The Jews of India are not one singular community. Among them, they are divided into different communities. Each community has its own culture. 
background and origin. Each community claims its arrival in India in different ways, and it's not clear of how they really came to India. The three main Jewish communities in India are B'nai Israel, who believe themselves to be the descendants of the original settlers who came to Israel to came to India as early as 2,000 years ago. Cochin, of so Cochin Jews of southern India, who, who were centered in Kerala, and the Iraqi Jews called Baghdadis, who began settling in India at the end of the 18th century, mainly Bombay and Calcutta. There, there were Ashkenazi Jews and also a community in Manipur, East India, which claims Israeli origin, speculated to be one of the lost tribes, and called themselves Bnei Menashe. Each group has an active synagogue. The Bnei Israel, of sons of Israel, came to be descendants of the Jews who escaped persecution in Galilee in the 2nd century BC. They, they settled down primarily in Bombay, Calcutta, Old Delhi, and Ahmedabad, and their native language became Marathi. The Bnei Israel seem in appearance like the non-Jewish Marathi, pe Marathi people, which indicates intermarriage between Jews and Indians. However, the Bnei Israel maintained the, the practices and rituals of Judaism. The ancestors of Bnei Israel were all oppressors in Galilee, who fled on a ship towards India. Close to the Indian ship, the coast, the ship got wrecked, and some, but some survived the shipwreck. The present-day Bnei Israel are descendants of those survivors, who swam towards the land and arrived at a village called Navgaon, where they buried the bodies of those who died in the shipwreck. There is a memorial in who to those who did not make it to the Indian shore. The survivors settled in a village and started working in agriculture and subsequently in oil producing, which later became the main profession. They are distinguished from other te uh, caste tellies, oil pressers, and, and called Sh Shanivari tellies, because their observance of the Shabbat on Saturday, Shanivar, the Bnei Israel community grew and became a guild of oil pressers. They left their first village, now gone, and dispersed to other villages and towns along the coast of Gokhan, becoming oil producers oppressors of their respective villages. Gradually, they derived their surnames from the villages they settled down in. Rohekar, Penkar, Palkar, uh, um, Ashtamkar, and orig originated from the villages of Rohep and Pali, or Ashtam, respectively. In the early 17th, early 17th century, the Bnei Israel came in contact with Jews from Cochin, who brought them into mainstream of modern Judaism. The Bnei Israel began to move to Bombay in the late 18th century and built their first synagogue, Sher Racham, Gates of Mercy, in 1796. In, in time, the Bnei Israel in Bombay became demographically a strong community. In the early 19th century, the Bnei Israel uh, numbered approximately 6,000. By 1948, their numbers had grown to 30,000. Today, there are only about 5,000 in India, the majority having emigrated to Israel and some to Australia and England and Canada and the United States. Many of its members were employed in government service and a considerable number of others distinguished themselves as officers in the Indian army. In the 1950s and 60s, when the majority of Indian Jews had immigrated to Israel, a significant number of Bnei Israel remained in India. Among the well-known members of this community in modern-day Mumbai is the poet, poet Nassim Ezekiel. In modern India, the caste system has lost most of its features. The Jews do not see themselves as part of the Hindu caste system, but in the past, the Hindus did, did treat the Jews according to their tradition. According to the Orthodox Hindu rules, anyone who does not belong to the four Varna's caste is an outcast and untouchable. It means all foreigners and non-Hindus that are supposed to, are, are all supposed to be untouchables. But in reality, neither all foreigners nor, nor non-Hindus were treated as untouchables. Different religion followers got different statuses in different parts of India. The Bnei Israel had different status from the Cochinian Jews. The Bnei Israel pro professed oil pressing and had a status equal to Hindu caste called Samvarteli, which also professed oil pressing and were part of Suja levels. Um, some Orthodox Hindus treated anyone who wasn't one of them as untouchable and therefore treated Jews as untouchables. But even though the Jews in West India had low status, they were among them some who were landlords, businessmen, and high-rank officers in local armies. 
The relations between the Jewish communities of India are sometimes explained as affected by the Indian caste system, but these relations can also be explained according to Jewish religious laws. The Baghdadi Jews were much stricter about religious laws than the Bani Israel. The Baghdadi Jews did not mix, mingle with the Bani Israel Jews. The, Baghdadi, the Baghdadis did not allow marriages between their children and the children of Bani Israel. They did not eat food prepared by the Bani Israel, and they refused to count the Bani Israel as part of the Minyan, the ten necessary uh, required to do certain Jewish prayers. Many explain these relations as an influence of the Indian caste system on the Jewish communities. According to the explanation, the Baghdadi Jews referred themselves as higher caste than the Bene Israel Jews and therefore did not mingle with them. But these relations between the Jewish communities can also be explained according to Jewish halakha laws. The, the Baghdadi Jews were much strict about Jewish Jewish laws and died, did not mingle with the Bene Israels because the Bene Israels were secular Jews and perceived and perceived the Bene Israels Jews as imperial Jews. But the Israel, Israel Jews have traditionally lived in Bombay in villages on the Konkan coast, south of Bombay. Their, 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 their name means children of Israel in Hebrew. The Bnei Israel speak Marathi, the language of their neighbors. In coastal areas, they traditionally worked, worked as oil pressers. In Bombay, they traditionally lived in tenement buildings and were employed as white-collar workers, mechanics, and skilled laborers in factories and workshops. Some served in the armed forces. A minority were doctors, lawyers, and teachers. The Bnei Israel Jew embraced some Hindu beliefs about caste and were incorporated by the Hindus into the caste system. They were divided into white Gora and black Kala Jews. They were only married other Jews, and intermarriage between black Bnei Israel and white Bnei Israel was very rare. Black Bnei Israel, their descendants of offspring of mixed marriages with Hindus, maybe the elites, untouchables. Many Bnei Israel marriages, marriage customs are aligned with Hindu concepts of marriage. They traditionally preferred cross-cousin marriages, discouraged the marriage of widows, and practiced some polygamy and conducted a pre-wedding Hannah ceremony. The Bnei Israel observed Sabbath, uh, Shabbat, Saturday, and abstained on this day from any work. They circumcised the sons on the eighth day after birth. They didn't eat fish, which had fins and scales. They observed a few Israeli festivals, or they observed a few Jewish festivals and called them by Indian names. But until their association with other communities, they weren't aware of Hanukkah fest festival on the night of Av fast. These two traditions became part of the Jewish tradition after the destruction of the Second Temple, and therefore the belief that the Bnei Israelis, Bnei Israel's forefathers, arrived in India before the destruction of the Second Temple. On each religious occasion, such as marriage, circumcision, or death, of the Bnei Israelis used to recite the Shema, the Shema verse. The Bnei Israel community grew, and they became a guild or an Indian caste with the profession of oil professors. They left the f their first village, Navgaon, and dispersed into other villages in the towns on, of the Konkan, becoming the oil producers and oil pressers of their respective villages. From the name of the villages and towns, like Roha, Penpali, or Ashtan, they derived their surnames like Rohekar, Penkar, Palkar, uh, Ashtamkar, and such others. The Bnei Israels were uh, used to uh, uh, the Bnei Israels used to abstain from any work on Saturday, which wasn't, accept which wasn't an acceptable feature in India, and they were therefore called Shen Warteli, meaning Saturday oil oppressors. According to tradition, the original shipwrecked Bnei Israel Jews lost all their prayer books and kept the religion alive by what they knew in their heads, namely some prayers and dietary customs. They practiced circumcision, celebrated many Jewish festivals, but they didn't have synagogues, and had adopted many Hindu customs. The Bnei Israels had have a few Jewish customs almost uniquely to them. The community members... Almost in every Thanksgiving ceremony, maintain a ritual called Melita. Melita is a home ritual in which all the men sit around a plate of roasted rice, fruits, and spices, and flowers. In this ceremony, they sing songs and praising the Lord. In the main song, they also praise Prophet Elijah as a precursor of the Messiah. The Bnei Israel legend also narrates of two occasions when the Prophet Elijah visited them and returned to heaven. The first occasion occurred immediately after the arrival of Bnei Israel to the coast of Konkan. On this occasion, he revivified the unconscious, un unconscious Bnei Israelis who swam to the beach from the sea. Bnei Israel 
employ the same symbols as other Jewish traditions. However, the ritual bears evidence of the influence of the Indian context. Occasions of thanksgiving are followed by the recital of blessings over a spiced concoction of parched rice, shredded coconut, raisins, and bushes called melita. They are eaten by everyone who is present, with two kinds of fruit. For many years, people believed that, that because B'nai Israel families was names generally ended in Kar, a civil implying from the village or town of, the names have must have been taken from the village in which they lived. This, the family name format was adopted probably within a generation or two of their arrival in India. Instead, this author um, has traced their surnames to the B'nai Israel to their Hebrew roots. The misconception about the origins of the name likely arose from the fact that the B'nai Israel, like most diaspora Jews, prayed in Hebrew, but read the translation of Marathi and did not understand the words of the Hebrew. It should be noted that although the surnames of the B'nai Israel can be demonstrated to have Hebrew roots, they have no meaning in Marathi. Further, if the B'nai Israel took the names of their villages or towns in which they live, it's logical they would bear the names Bombay, Pune, Alibad, Karachi, Ahmedabad, Thane, Madva, Revdanda, Damratar, or Ravas, all places that, that had large B'nai Israel populations. Contrary to general belief, the more logical sequence of events is that villages came to be known by the names of the of the residents of the B'nai Israel family property around which the village grew. This would thus explain why so many villages with the B'nai Israel name origins have disappeared totally and aren't and are untraceable today. When a family left the area or sold its property, the name gradually faded away and then disappeared into history. In time, the B'nai Israel began to assimilate and some of the ancient traditions were lost. However, there was much that they continued to observe, such as the Jewish festivals, with the exception of Hanukkah and Tishbab, which were added to the calendar later. They avoided eating fish that did not have fins and scales. They performed circumcision on the eighth day. They also observed Shabbat on, on Saturday. Around the mid-1700s, the B'nai Israel began to leave their villages and move into the city of Bombay, now Mumbai. Under the British rule, the B'nai Israel were often involved in the military and civil, and the civil service, but also became active in many Indian, Indian industries. In the, sec in the second half of the 20th century, the numbers of the B'nai Israel community have slightly decreased due to immigration of its members to Israel, Europe, and the Americas, and as well as uh, Oceania and Australia. Uh, in the early years of the 21st century, there were approximately 4,000 B'nai Israel left in India, most of them in Maharashtra Strait. Other B'nai Israel communities function in Ahmedabad and New Delhi. Communities maintain a number of synagogues and prayer halls, such as the Magen Hasidim and Tifer Israel synagogues in Mumbai, formerly Bombay, and the Shah Shamaim synagogue in Thane. In some places, there was a regular Manan. In others, there were services on Saturday mornings and not on Friday nights, on a, or, or on high holidays only. The first synagogue of Bombay celebrated its bicentenary in February 1996. Oh yeah, also about David Rahabi, he, so there's other sources that said he came in 1000, uh, uh, you know, CE, 1400 CE, 1200 CE, but it's most likely a Cochini Jew who lived in the uh, 17th century and 18th century, and he, there's like two versions of him, how he knew the B'nai Israel were Jews. One, he followed the women to the market, and they only chose, like, he saw that they only chose, like, kosher fish, right? So he's like, oh, you know, I'm going to teach you about Judaism. And there's another re version where instead of just following them to the market, he, like, bought them, he bought, like, different types of fish. He's like, oh, is this kosher? Is this not kosher? Like, he knew, and when he showed them, them like, the fish, they only selected the kosher fish. So he's like, oh, yeah, no, you know, you, you guys are Jewish, you know, I'm going to teach you about, like, Judaism. So, yeah, that's, like... Two two things about David Rahab like two two versions of the David Rahabi story how he how he sh how he knew that the Bene Israel were Jewish and they weren't like you know like uh, like completely assimilated so yeah that's pretty cool and I don't know why the source of him saying a thousand CE or like twelve hundred or like fourteen hundred CE like he probably was most likely in the seventeenth and eighteenth century so yeah that's pretty cool.
Today, there's an estimated 60,000 to 80,000 living worldwide, with most of them living in Israel, numbering, numbering at 60,000, with another 5,000 living in India, and sizable population and sizable communities I do not know the exact numbers of living in various English-speaking countries, such as England, Australia, Canada, and the United States, and probably they also live in other countries such as the U of the UK, such as Northern Ireland, uh, Scotland, and Wales, and um, yeah, and also they live in other countries that are not mentioned because the population of the of Bnei Israel living in other countries that I have not mentioned is knowledgeable. I will now be talking about why I'm making this episode about the Bnei Israel as a distinct Jewish ethnic group. This is my opinion, so the section will be rather short. One reason the Bnei Israel are a distinct Jewish ethnic group is because they have been under Indian and to a lesser degree Pakistani and British influence as opposed to the influence on various other Jewish ethnic groups. The Bnei Israel are one of the oldest Jewish ethnic groups in India, passing down only the oral tra Jewish traditions until they were discovered in the, 20th in the 17th century by a Cochin Jew uh, named uh, David, David Rahabi and were taught more about Judaism, specifically the rabbinical rules and were given books to learn about Judaism. The Bnei Israel, common with other Jewish ethnic groups, were isolated and, and, and had their own unique practice of Judaism and did what they could from whatever they knew of Jewish law. The Bnei Israel are not Ashkenazi, Sephardi, Mizrahi, or any other Jewish ethnic group, and they are considered a unique Jewish ethnic group of their own. Bnei Israel also speak a different language, most commonly Judeo-Marathi, and other languages which will be addressed in the next section, as opposed to other Jewish ethnic groups. Finally, the Bnei Israel eat different and unique foods as opposed to the general Jewish populace. Do you have any reasons, other reasons why the Bnei Israel are a distinct Jewish ethnic group? You can let me know by email, emailing me at worldwidejew at gmail.com or DMing me on Instagram at worldwide underscore Jew. The main diaspora language spoken by Bnei Israel Jews is either Judeo-Marathi or by extension Marathi and, other various, and various other languages such as Hebrew, English, Gujarati, Malayam, and even to extent Judeo-Malayam. I'll only talk, be talking about Judeo-Marathi, Marathi, Gujarati, Malayam, and Judeo-Malayam because those are not well-known languages worldwide and known internationally and in the Jewish world. Judeo-Marathi is a form of Marathi spoken by Bnei Israel, a Jewish ethnic group that developed a unique identity in India. Judeo-Marathi is, unlike other Marathi, written in the then Benaganari script. It may not be sufficiently different from Marathi as to constitute a distinct language, although it is characterized by a number of uh, loanwords from Hebrew and Aramaic as a re result of influence from the Cochin Jewish community. Judeo-Malayam and a Portuguese and and some and also some influence from the Urdu language. It has some linguistic features in common with various Jewish languages developed by Jewish communities in widely dis dis disparate places in times, in times which are also variants of a local language with loanwords from Hebrew and Aramaic. The Judeo-Marathi community mainly resides in Raigad and Thing districts and the city of Mumbai and Manhashtra. The majority of its members have immigrated to Israel, and most of the rest live in England and Canada. Recently, a rare Marathi Hebrew text titled Puna Haggadah was found in Manchester. The 137-year-old book, which was used in the Bnei Israel community, and was discovered by a University of Manchester historian Yaakov Weiss, and I cannot find the amount of speakers uh, of Judeo-Marathi. Marathi is an Indo-Aryan language spoken predominantly by one, around 100 million Marathi people of Maharashtra, India. It is the official language and co-official language in the, in the Maharashtra and Goa states of Western India, respectively. It is one of the 22 scheduled uh, languages of India. With 100 million speakers in 2021 projection, Marathi ranks 10th uh, in the list of most spoken languages in the world. Marathi has the third largest number of native speakers in India, after Hindi and Bengali. 
The language and has some of the oldest literature of all modern Indian languages, dating from around 600 a, uh, AD. The dialects of Marathi are standard Marathi and Varhadi dialects. Koli and Malvani Kokani have been heavily influenced by Marathi varieties. Marathi distinguishes inclusive and exclusive forms of we and possesses a and possesses a three-way gender system that features the neuter in addition to the masculine and the feminine. In its phonology, in contrast, Apico al alveolar with alveolopatalal affricates and alveolar with retroflex laterals. Marathi is primarily spoken in Maharashtra, India, and parts of neighboring states of Gujarat, Maya Pradesh, Goa, Chhinnisgar, Karnataka, particularly the boarding districts of Belgaum, Bidar, Gobara, and Uttara, Kannada, Tagana, Union territories of Daman, and Diu, and Dadra, and Nagar, Haveli. The former Mar Maratha ruled cities of Baroda, Ingora, Gawilior, Jabapalur, and Tanjore have the sizable Marathi-speaking population for centuries. Marathi is also spoken by the Mahashtrian migrants to other parts of Indian overseas. <laughs> For instance, the people from Western India that emigrated to Mauritius in the early 19th century also speak Marathi. There were 83 million speaker native. There were 83 million native Marathi speakers in India, according to the 2011 census, making it the third mo mo uh, most spoken language after Hindi and Bengali. Native Marathi speakers from form 6.86% of India's population. Native speakers of Marathi form 70.34% of the population of Maharashtra, 10.89% in Goa. 7.01% in Dadra and 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 in uh, and Nagar Haveli, 4.53% in Daman and Diu, 3.38% in Karnataka, 1.7% in Maya Pradesh, and 1.4% in Gujarat. Marathi is the official language of Maharashtra and the co-official language in the Union of Territories of Daman and Diu, and Dadra and Nagar Haveli. In Goa, Konkani is the sole official language. However, Marathi may be used for some official purposes in some of the cases. Marathi is included among the languages which is which stand a part of the eighth schedule of the Constitution of India, thus granting it it the status of a scheduled language. The government of Maharashtra submitted an application to the Ministry of Culture to grant consequence language status to Marathi. Temporary grammatical rules described by the Maharashtra Satya Parishad and endorsed by the government of Maharashtra are supposed to take precedence in standard written Marathi. Traditions of Marathi linguistics and the above-mentioned rules give special status to Tasamas, words adapted from Sanskrit. The special status accepts the rules for Tasamas to be followed in Sanskrit. The, this practice provides Marathi with a large corpus of Sanskrit words to cope with, with demands of new technical words whenever needed. In addition to all universities in Maharashtra, Maharaja Sayajirao University of Baroda in Vadodara, Osmania University in Hyderabad, Karnataka University in Darwad, Gulbara University in Kalabaragi, Devi Alia University in Indore, and Goan University in Goa have special departments for higher studies in Marathi linguistics. Jawaharlal Nehru University, New Delhi, has announced plans to establish a special department for Marathi. Marathi Day is celebrated on 27th of February, the birthday of the poet Kuv Masagari, Vishnu Vaman Shirwadkar. If you, if you want to learn more about the history of, uh, and more about Marathi, I'll be linking an article in the description about it. Gujarati is an Indo-Aryan language native to the Indian state of Gujarat and spoken predominantly by the Gujarati people. Gujarati is part of the greater Indo-European language family. Gujarati is descended from old Gujarati, 
which was from 1100 to 1500 CE. In India, it is the official language of, in the state of the Gujarat, as well as an official language. In the Union Territory, Dadra and Nagar Haveli and Diman and Diu. As of 2011, Gujarati is the sixth widely most spoken language in India by a number of native speakers. Spoken by 55.5 million speakers, which amounts 4.5% of the total Indian population, is the 26th most widely spoken language in the world by number of native speakers as of 2007. The Gujarati language is more than 700 years old and is spoken by more than 55 million people worldwide. Outside of Gujarat, Gujarati is spoken in, in many other parts of South Asia by Gujarati migrants, especially in Bombay and Pakistan, mainly in Karachi. Gujarati is also widely spoken in many countries outside South Asia by the Gujarati diaspora. In North America, Gujarati is one of the fastest growing and most widely spoken Indian languages in the United States and Canada. In Europe, Gujarati is one of the second largest British South Asian speech communities, and Gujarati is the fourth most commonly spoken language in the U U UK's capital, London. Gujarati is also spoken in Southeast Africa, particularly in Kenya, Uganda, Tanzania, Zambia, and South Africa. Elsewhere, Gujarati is spoken to a lesser extent in China, particularly Hong Kong, Indonesia, Singapore, Australia, and Middle Eastern countries such as Bahrain. Of the approximately 46 million speakers of Gujarat in 1997, roughly 45.5 million resided in India, 150,000 in Uganda, 50,000 in Tanzania, 50,000 in Kenya, and roughly 100,000 in Karachi, Pakistan, excluding several hundreds of thousands of Memonis who do not satisfy as Gujarati, but hail from a region within the state of Gujarat. However, Gujarati community leaders in Pakistan claim that there are 3 million Gujarati speakers in Karachi. Elsewhere in Pakistan, Gujarati is also spoken in Lower Punjab. Pakistani Gujarati is probably a dialect of Gamadia. There is a certain amount of Mauritian people and a large amount of Reunion Island people who are from Gujarati descent, among which some of them sp still speak Gujarati. And considerable Gujarati-speaking population exists in North America, most particularly in the New York metropolitan area and the greater Toronto area, which have over 100,000 speakers and over 75,000 speakers respectively, but also throughout the major metropolitan areas of the United States and Canada. According to the 2011 census, Gujarati is the 17th most spoken language in the greater Toronto area and the 4th most spoken South Asian language after Hindustani, Punjabi, and Tamil. The UK has over 200,000 speakers, many of them situated in the London area, especially in northwest London, but also in Birmingham, Manchester, and Leicester, Coventry, Bradford, and the former mill towns within Lancaster. Um, a portion of these numbers consist of East African Gujaratis, who, increasing under, who under increasing discrimination and policies of a Africanization in the newly independent resident countries, especially Uganda, where Idi Amin expelled 50,000 Asian, Asians, were left with uncertain futures and citizenships. Most, with British passports sold in the UK, Gujarati is offered as a GCSE subject for students in the UK. I'm not sure what that is. I don't live in the UK, so uh, yeah, if you're if in the UK, uh, let me know what that is. Uh, GCSE. Um, I have no idea what that is. Um, I know it's some test, but I don't know what it is, like su subject. I don't, I don't know. Anyways, moving on. Gujarati parents in the diaspora are not comfortable with the possibility of their language not surviving them. In, in a study, 80% of Malali... Malayi parents felt that children would be better off with English, compared to 36% of Kannada parents and only 19% of Gujarati parents. Besides being spoken by the Gujarati people, non-Gujarati residents and migrants to the state of Gujarat also count as speakers, among them the Kuchis as a literary language, the Parsis adopted as a mother tongue, and the Hindu-Sindhi refugees from Pakistan. A, distrib a distribution of the geographical area can be found in the Linguistic Survey of India by George A. Grierson. 
Gujarati is one of the 22 official languages and 14 regional languages of India. It is officially recognized in the state of Gujarat and the Union Territory of Dadra and Nagar Haveli and Daman and Diu. Gujarati is recognized and taught as a minority language in the state of Rajasthan, Madhya Pradesh, Maharashtra, and Tamil Nadu and the Union of Delhi, the Union Territory of Delhi. According to the British historian philologist William Tisdall, who was an early scholar of Gujarati grammar, three major varieties of Gujarati, Gujarati exist. A standard standard Hindu dialect, a Parsi dialect, and a Muslim dialect. However, Gujarati has undergone contemporary reclassification with respect to the widespread global regional differences in vocabulary and phrasing, notwithstanding the number of poorly attested dialects and regional variations in naming. Standard Gujarati. This forms something of a standardized variant of Gujarati across news, education, and government. It is also spoken in, the, in pockets of Maharashtra. The varieties of it include Mumbai, Gujarati, and Nagari. So, Sa Saurashtra, spoken primarily by the Sahastrians who migrated from the latter region of present-day Gujarat to southern India in the Middle Ages. Saurashtra is closely related to Gujarati and, and the older dialects of Rajasthani and Sindhi. The script of this language is derived from the Dhanagavari script and shares similarities with modern-day Gujarati. Gamadia, spoken primarily in Ahmedabad and the surrounding regions. In addition to Barorush and Sarat, which is colloquially known as Surati. The varieties of it include Ahmedabad, Gamada, An Anwala, Baratha, Charotari, Eastern Borokha, Rojarati, Gramya, Patani, Par Patirari, Surati, Vodari. Kathiawari, a distinctive variant sp spoken in primarily in the Kathiawari region and subject to significant Sindhi influence. The variety of it included Banagwari, Goldhoywaldi, Holadi Halari, Jalawaldi, Sarathi, Kara and Kakari, and Tarmuki, Gisadi. Uh, are, are often known and cited as additional varieties of Gujarati. Parsi, spoken by the Zoroastrian Parsi minority, this highly, highly distinctive variety has been subject to considerable lexical influence by Avestan, the, litur the, the, the liturgical Zoroastrian language. Lisan Uddawat, spoken primarily by the Gujarati Muslim Bora communities, has been subject to greater lexical influence by Arabic and Persian and is written in the Arabic script. Kuji is often referred to as the dialect of Gujarati. But most languages considered closer to Sindhi. In addition, a mixture between Sindhi, Gujarati, and Kuchi, Kalamani, is related to Gujarati, albeit distantly. Furthermore, words used by the native language of the area where the, where the Gujarati have become a diaspora community, such as East Africa, Swahili, have become loanwords and local dialects of Gujarati. If you want to learn more about Gujarati, I'll be linking it down in the description. Malaya, Malaya, Malay, Alam. Is a Dravidian language spoken in the Indian states of Kerala and, and the Union of Territories of Lakshadweep and Puducherry, Mahe district, by the Malayali people. It is one of 22 scheduled languages of India spoken by nearly 2.88% of Indians. Malayalam, Malayalam has officially language status in the states of Kerala and in the Union Territories of Lawanship and Puducherry, Mahe, and spoken by 45 million people worldwide. Malayam is also spoken by linguistic minorities in the neighboring states with significant numbers of speakers in the Nilgiris, Kanyakumari, and Koyambatori, Tankasi, Thani districts of Tamil Nadu and Kodagu, and Dakshina, Kannada districts of Karnataka. Due to Malaya extra pits in the Persian Gulf, the language is also widely spoken in Gulf countries. The origin of Malayalam refers to a matter of disputes among scholars. One view holds that Malayam and modern Tamil are descendants of Middle Tamil and separated from it after the 7th century AD. Uh, 
A second uh, view argues for the development of two languages out of Proto-Tavridian and Proto-Tamil Malayalam in the prehistoric area. Designated a classical language in India in 2013, it developed into the current form uh, mainly by the influence of the poet, I, uh, this is a really hard name to pronounce, Thun Cha Thuthu Chan in the 16th century. The old, probably butchered like that so much. The oldest document written purely in Malayam and still surviving are the Vashapali copper plates from 832 AD and the Tharis Pali copper plates from 849 AD. The earliest scripts used to write Malayam was the Valetu alphabet and later, and later the Kolas Hutu, which derived from it. The current Malayam script is based on the Valetu script, which which was extended from with Granthoth script letters to adopt Indo-Aryan loanwords. The oldest literary works in Malayalam, distinct from the Distinct from the Tamil tradition, is dated between the 9th and 11th centuries. The first travelogue in any Indian language is the Malayam, uh, another big word, Varthanman Puthakam, written by Paremakal Thoma Kanathar, and <laughs> I'm butchering these words, in 1785. The word Malayalam originated from the word Mala, meaning mountain, and Alam, meaning region, region or ship, as in township. Malayalam thus translates directly as the mountain region. The term originally referred to the land of Chera dynasty, and only later became the name of its language. The, the language Malayalam, alternatively called Alayalum, Mayani, Malali, Malin, Maliad, and Malale. The, early, uh, the earliest ex uh, extent literally works in the regional language of present-day Kerala probably date back to as early as the 12th century. However, the name identity of this language appears to have come into existence only around the 16th century, when it was known as Malayama or Malayanma. The words were also used to refer to the script and the region. The word Malayalam was coined in, in the later period, and the local people referred to the language both Tamil and Malayalam until the colonial period. The, the the generally held view is that Malayam was the western coastal dialect of medieval Tamil and separated from Tamil sometimes between the 9th and 13th centuries. Some scholars, however, believe that both Tamil and Malayam developed during a prehistoric period from, from a common ancestor, pro-Tamil Dravidian, and that the notion of Malayam being a daughter of Tamil is misplaced. This is based on the fact that Malayam and several Dravidian languages on the western coast have common features which are not found even in the host, or oldest historical forms of Tamil. Robert Caldwell, in his 1856 56 book, A Comparative Grammar of the Dravidian or South Indian Family of Languages, opined that Malayan branches from classical Tamil and over time gained a large amount of Sanskrit vocabulary and lost the, per the personal termination of verbs as the language of scholarships and administration. Old Tamil, which was written in Tamil Brahmi and the Valetu alphabet letter, greatly influenced the early development of Malayalam. The Malayalam script began to diverge from the Tamil Brahmi script in the 8th and 9th century. And by, the end of, and by the end of the 13th century, a written form of the language emerged, which was unique to the, from the Tamil Brahmi script that was used to write Tamil. Malayalam is similar to some Sri Lankan and Tamil dialects, and the two were often mistaken by native Indian Tamil speakers. Variations in imitation patterns, vocabulary, and dis distribution of grammatical and phonological elements are observable along the parameters of region, religion, community, occupation, social stratum, style, and register. 
Dish, di dialects of Malay Alam are distinguishable at regional and social levels, including occupational and communal differences. The salient features of many varieties of tribal speech, the speech of Muthians, Malayas, Malay Uladas, Kanikars, Kadars, Palilars, Krumas, and Vedas, and those of various dialects, Numbruthis, Nairs, Azavas, Syrian Christians, Nasrani, Muslims, fishermen, and many of the occupational terms common to different sections of Malays have been identified. According to the Dravidian Encyclopedia, the regional dialects of Malay Alam can be divided into 13 dialect areas. They are as follows South Tran Travancore, Central Travancore, West Vempanad, North Travancore, Kochi Lesur, South Malabar, Kochi, no, Kochi Thrissur, South Malabar, Southeastern Palgat, Northwestern Palgat, Central Malabar, Wayanard, North Malabar, Kasaragod, and Lakshadwi. According to Ethnologue, the dialects are Malabar, Nagari Malayam, South Kerala, Central Kerala, North Kerala, Kangavar, Nam Bodiri, Nair, Mopla, Pulia, Nasrani, and Kasogod. The community dialects are Nam Bodiri, Nair, Mopla, Pulaya, and Nasrani. Whereas both the Nam Bodiri and Nair dialects have, com have a common nature, the Mapila dialect is among the most divergent of dialects, differing considerably from literally Mab Malayam. Jasiri is a dialect of Malayam spoken mainly in the Union territory of Lakwa Sheep, which is nearer to Kerala. As regards the, as regards the geographical dialects of Malay, Malay Alam, surveys conducted so far by the Department of Linguistics, University of Kerala, restricted the focus of attention given attention during a given study on one specific caste so as to avoid mixing up more than one variable such as communal and geographical factors. Thus, for example, the survey of the Ed's Hava dialect of Malay, Malay Alam Results, of which have been published by the department in 1974, has brought to light the existence of 12 major dialect areas from Malaya, although the isoglosses are found to crisscross in many instances. Sub-dialect regions, which could be marked off, were found to be 30. This number is reported to tally approximately the number of principalities that existed during the pre-British period in Kerala. In a few instances at, at least, as in cases of Vernad Karapuram, Nazwarm and Kambala, the, the known boundaries of old principalities are forced to coincide with those of certain dialects or sub-dialects that retain their individuality even today. This seems to reveal the significance of political divisions in Kerala and bringing about dialect difference. Divergence among dialects of Malayalam breaks almost all aspects of language, such as phonetics, phonology, grammar, and vocabulary. Differences between any two given dialects can be quantified in terms of pre uh, the presence or absence of specific units at each, at each level of the language. To cite a, to cite a single example of language variation along the geographic parameter, it may be noted that there are as many as 77 different expressions employed by S. Havas and spread over various geographical points just to refer to a single item, namely the flower bunch of a coconut. Kola is an expression attested in most of the Panchayat in the Pakalad, Erankulam, and oh, another big word, Thiruvanathapuram, districts of Kerala. Whereas Kolachil occurs most prominently in Kanur and Koshi, and Kalanil in Apuhuza and Kolam, Kohinul and Kulanyulu 
are forms most common in Trisur Iduki and Kotayam, respectively. In addition to these forms, most widely spread among the areas spe specified above, there are dozens of other forms such as Kot Kotumpu, Kolam, and Thiruvanarapuram, Tirpu, Kotayam, Kirali, Patham, Namatita, Patachi, Ganil, Kolam, Patacha, Palakad, referring to the same item. Malayalam has been has incorporated many elements from other languages over the years, the most notable of these being Sanskrit and the later English. According to Sunarad Kujan Pilal, who compiled the authoritative Malayalam lexicon, the other principal languages whose vocabulary was incorporated over the ages were Pali, Prakit, Urdu, Hindi, Chinese, Arabic, Syriac, Dutch, and Portuguese. Many medieval many medieval liturgical texts were written in an admixture of Sanskrit and early Malayalam called Manipravalam. Mani the influence of Sanskrit has, was very prominent in formal Malayalam used in literature. Malayalam has a substantially high amount of Sanskrit loanwords, but these are seldom used. Loanwords and influences also from Hebrew, Syriac, and Ladino abound from, in the Jewish Malayan dialects, as well as English, Portuguese, Syriac, and Greek in the Trishan dialects, while Arabic Persian elements predominate in the Muslim dialects. The Muslim dialect known as Mpila Malayalam is used in the Malabar region of Kerala. Another Muslim dialect called Beri Bashi, but Bashi is used in the extreme northern part of Kerala and the southern part of Karnataka. Malayalam is the language spoken by the native people of southwestern India from Tapaladi to Kanyakumari. According to the Indian census of 2011, there are 32,299,239 speakers of Malayalam in Kerala, making up 93.2% of the total number of Malayalam speakers, Malayalam speakers in India, and 96.74% of the total population of the state. There are further 701,623, 2.1% of the total number in Karnataka, 957,705, 2.7% in Tamil Nadu, 406,358 and 1.2% in Mahashtra. The number of Malayalam speakers in La 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 Shanweep is 51,100, which is only 0.1% of the total number, but as much as 84% of the population of Lakshmandeep. In all, Malay Malay Malays made up 3.22% of the total Indian population in 2011. Of the total 34,713,130 Malay alum speakers in India in 2011, 33,015,420 spoke the standard dialects. 19,643 spoke the Yerava dialect, and 31,329 spoke the non-standard re regional variations like Arandan. As for the 1991 census data, 28.85% of all Malayalam speakers in India spoke a second language, and second language, and 19.64% of the total of the total knew three or more languages. Large numbers of Malays have settled in Chennai, Bangalore, Mangalore, Hyderabad, Mumbai, Navi Mumbai, Pune, Mysore, and Delhi. Many Malays have also immigrated to the Middle East, United States, and Europe. There are 179,860 speakers of Malayalam in the in the United States, according to the 2000 census, with the highest concentration with the highest concentrations in Bergen County, New Jersey, and Rockland County, New York. There are 344,000 4, 3, Malayalam speakers in Malaysia. There are, are 11,687 Malayalam speakers on, on Australia in 2016. The Canadian census reported that 7,770 7, people who listed Malayalam as their mother tongue, mainly in Toronto. The 2006 New Zealand census reported that 2,139 speakers, the 134 Malayalam speakers, were reported in 1956 in Fiji. There was also considerable Malayali 
population in the Persian Gulf regions, especially in Dubai and Doha. The faster growth of languages spoken in the southern parts of India, like Malam, compared to those spoken in the north of the country, like Hindi, show exactly which reasons Indian immigrants to the U.S. are coming from. Malayalam is eighth in the list of the top te fast ten growing for foreign first languages spoken in English schools in the U.K., according to a report. Historically, several scripts were used to write Malayalam. Among these were the Batelutu, Kolzelhu, Huthu and Malayanma scripts. But it was the Grantha script, another southern Brahmi variation, which gave rise to the modern Malayalam script. It is syllabic in the sense that the sequence of graphic elements means that, that syllables have to be read as units. Though in this system, the elements representing individual vowels and consonants are for the most part readily identifiable. In the 1960s, Malayalam dispensed with many special letters representing less frequent conjunction consonants and combinations of the vowel with different consonants. Malayalam script consists of a total of 578 characters, the script containing 52 letters including 16 vowels and 36 consonants, which forms 576 syllabic characters and contains two additional uh, diatric characters uh, named An Anusvara and Visarka. The early style of writing has been superseded by a new style as of 1981. The new script reduces the different letters for typesetting from 900 fewer to fewer than 90. This is mainly due to include Malayam in the keyboards of typewriters and computers. In 1999, a, a group named Rachana Akshara Vedi produced a set of three free fonts containing the entire character repertoire of more than 900 glyphs. This was now to release along with the text editor in the same year as Thiruvannathapuram uh, in the capital of Kerala. In 2004, the fonts were released under the GNU GPL license by Richard Stallman of the Free Software Foundation at the Cochin University of Science and Technology in Kochi, Kerala. Malayalam has been written in other scripts like Roman, Syriac, and Arabic. Uh, Suriyani Malayam was used by St. Tom by by Thomas Christians, also known as Nazranis, until the 19th century. Arabic script was particularly... Arabic script particularly were taught in Masraz in Kerala and the Lakshadweep La 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 Islands. If you want to learn more about Malayam, I will be linking to our, I will be linking an article about it in the description. And the final language I'll be talking about in this section is Judea Malayalam. Judea Malayalam um, is the traditional language of the Cochin Jews, also called the Malabar Jews from Kerala in southern India. Also, probably B'nai Israel spoke it as well because they were interacting with the Cochin Jews. Uh, in southern India, spoken today by a few dozen people in Israel and by probably fewer than 25 in India. Judea Malayalam is, is, is the only known Dravidian Jewish language. The other Dravidian Jewish language spoken by regular Jewish community is Tagulu. Spoken by the small and very only newly observant Jewish community of East Central and, and Andhra Pradesh. Andhra Pradesh. Since it does not differ substantially in grammar or in syntax from other colloquial Malayalam dialects, it is not considered by many linguists to be a language in its own right, but a dialect or simply a language variation. Judeo Malayalam shares with other Jewish languages like Ladino, Ladino Judeo Arabic, and Yiddish, common traits and features. For example, verbatim translates from verbatim translations from Hebrew to Malayalam, archaic features of Old Malayalam, Hebrew compounds agglutinated to Dravidian verb, verb and noun formations, and special idiomatic uses based on its Hebrew loanwords. Due to, the, due to the lack of long-term scholarship of, on this language variation, there is no longer separate designation for the language, if it, so, if, it can so be, if it can be so considered, for it to have its own language code. Unlike many Jewish languages, Judeo-Malayam is not written using the Hebrew alphabet. It, 
It does, however, like most Jewish languages, contain many Hebrew loanwords, which are re regularly transliterated as much as possible, using the Malayam script. Like many other Jewish languages, Jemalayalam also contains another of lex contains a number of lexical, phonolog phonological, and syntax ar archaisms. In this case, from the days before Malayalam became fully distinguished from Tamil, in spite by some in spite of claims by some Paradisi Jews that their ancestors Ladino influenced the de development of Judea Malayalam. Um, so far, Northwest influence not even in, on the superficial lexical levels found. There is, however, affiliation with Mapila Malayalam, especially of North Malabar, in words such as Khabar or Khabura, grave, and the formations such as Mayat Ayi, used by Muslims, and Salam Ayi, used by Jews for died for died. Uh, Marisu Poi in standard Malayalam. Uh, as with parent, as with the parent languages, Jalei Malam also contains loanwords from Sanskrit and Pali as a result of the long-term affiliation of Malayalam, like all other other Dravidian languages, with Pali and Sanskrit uh, through sacred and secular Buddhist and Hindu texts. Because the vast majority of scholarship regarding the Cochin Jews has concentrated on the ethnographic accounts in English provided by Paradesi Jews, sometimes also called White Jews, who immigrated to Kerala from Europe in the 16th century and later, the study of the status and role of Judea Malayalam has suffered neglect. Since the immigration to Israel, Cochin Jews immigrants have participated in documenting and studying the, studying the last speakers of Judea Malayalam, mostly in Israel. In 2009, documentation project, a documentation project was launched under the auspices of Ben's V Institute in Jerusalem. Digital copies can be obtained from, for any scholar who wishes to study Judea Malayalam. Now, I'll be talking about B'nai Israel food. The B'nai Israeli community in India, predominantly settled along the western coast, makes use of abundant, makes use of abundant fish, coconut, uh, rice, fresh herbs, and spices in their daily diet. Their cuisine replaces cream with coconut milk for meat dishes and the traditional clarified butter ghee with oil. The B'nai Israel community also extends the laws of kashrut or kosher by dedicating that fish and, meat and milk could be neither cooked nor eaten together. Meat is blessed by a rabbi. The majority of their food, however, is similar to the local Mahashrian Ma fare. Says Shlomo Samuel Devikar, a, Mal a Muslim-based B'nai Israel Jew, a majority of Indian foods is what we consume, with the occasional B'nai Israeli dish. We have Val, whole beans, on Tisha B'Av, a day in which the first and second temple was destroyed in order to pay our respects. We fast on a day. This, this usually happens in July or August. The B'nai Israelis are also known to eat a stew made by flaking fish, made by faking fried fish into boiling coconut milk with fresh coriander and chilies. Tamarind is used in some traditionally Jewish dishes, such as chitani, which is a sweet and sour chicken preparation. The B'nai Israelis also celebrate also celebrate the Shabbat or or or, uh, or like or Shab they they celebrate Shabbat as they call it. The B'nai Israelis also celebrate the Sabbath or the Shabbath as they call it or or Shabbat in Hebrew. Says celebrity chef Moshe Shek. Typically, the, the flavorful beef stew chalent is eaten, but there are variations followed by the Jewish community in India. The Maharashtrian, the Maharashtrian B'nai Israeli Jews do not drink wine on this day. They break the Yom Kippur fast with Sa'at Pader Puris, seven layer Puris, with a rich, gooey, and rich, gooey dry fruit and alachi mixture. Sweets, around their, sweets abound in their cuisine. Gulab jamun is common in most households during Hanukkah. Malpula, a sweet pancake made with, banana, with bananas, pineapple, and other fruits, and, ser and served with the syrup, is equally popular. Another B'nai, favorite B'nai Israel is sweet as ladu. The Ranal Ral, coconut hawa, is a Rosh Hashanah staple. 
The, co the cookery is characterized by cooking of the Mahasha people around them. The use of spices, the system assembling the curries, the dietary laws and customs of the original shipwreck B'nai Israel, who adopted the world around him and fitted into a Judaic mold. Coconut milk, hot chili, cardamom, cinnamon, turmeric, ginger, cumin, coriander, and garam masala are standard flavorings that are a hallmark of the cooking. They, in fact, they are, in fact, India's. Prepare for Passover. Condiments are freshly ground in a general house cleaning. Matzah is baked for prayer rather than a substitute for bread. Rice is not forbidden as, is, as, is, as it is in the Ashkenazi tradition. Familiar Judaic rituals and activities are no different than those of other Jewish communities in India. One year, I celebrate well, not me. You're getting this from article. One year, I celebrated Passover with a family who were reading the Haggadah translated into Marathi, while others at the seder table were reading passages in Hebrew and English. Fish is an important staple in Jewish homes, even more so in India, where kosher meat is not easily available. Conservative Jews follow kosher. Dietary laws prescribed by the Torah that forbid the mixing of meat and milk in the same dish or in the same meal. Dishes are divided into meat and meat, dairy, and parv. Parv includes fish and eggs, and can be consumed with milk or meat. For meat to be kosher, it must be slaughtered by a kosher butcher, salted and leached off all blood. For fish to be kosher, it must, must have easily visible fins and scales. Consequently, shellfish, shellfish and mori shark are not kosher. I watch as she gives podini, an important culinary technique in Indian cooking, also called tatka. This involves tempering spices in hot oil to release their flavors. And, and, and go fresh green chilies, Dread, dread red chilies, uh, ingo fresh green chilies, dried red chilies, curry leaves, onions, ginger, and garlic, followed by a can of coconut milk. Right, so the first dish I'll be talking about is Indian spice cauliflower latkes with latkes with with cilantro chutney recipe. For the latkes, you're going to need potatoes, onion, <clears throat> cauliflower for florets, turmeric powder, coriander, curry powder, eh, eggs, matzo meal, green onion. Uh, salt and pepper, and for the chutney, you're gonna need uh, one bunch of cilantro, uh, fresh mint, yogurt, um, or I guess you don't have to put the yogurt if um, you wanna keep it part of here. Uh, a zested lemon, honey, jalapenos, ginger root, garlic cloves, salt and pepper, and a vegetable or canola oil for frying. To make the latkes, first add the cauliflower florets in a food processor and pulse until they are fine and even pieces. Then transfer to a large bowl. Add the small shred blade attachments to, the, to your food processor and shred the potatoes and onion, but do not add to the bowl yet. Place the onions and potatoes in a clean dish towel and wrap around, the, uh, wrap around potatoes, only a handful at a time. Then use your mighty strength and squeeze out as much moisture as you can. Then squeeze a little more. Once they are dry, add them to the cauliflower bowl. Repeat until all potatoes and onions are dry. Then add the rest of the spices, eggs, matzo meal, and green onion. Mix everything together until well incorporated. Heat a large skillet with about half inch oil to about 350 degrees Fahrenheit. I like to test the oil with a small piece of potato. If it sizzles, it's ready. Use two tablespoons to, to form a latka and place in hot oil. Then use the back of the spoon to gently flatten out. Fry latkes for about three to four minutes until golden brown and turn over and finish frying for another three minutes. Remove latkes with the spotted with a slotted spatula onto a paper towel lined baking sheet and season with a sprinkle of salt if you like. To make the chutney, add, the ch add all the chutney ingredients to the food processor and pulse until incorporated. Scrape it down after every few pulses. Pulse until desired consistency and until there are no large leaves left. Serve latkes with chutney and garnish with fresh cilantro leaves. Curry, and we'll be talking about curry co coconut chicken with split peas. So what you're going to need is one uh, chicken, whole cut up chicken with or without skin, curry powder, cumin, turmeric, fresh garlic, fresh ginger, salt and pepper, coconut milk, water, 
uh, reminder, coconut milk is not milk. It's not considered dairy because it's from a coconut. That's, so it's parts. It's, it's parv. Uh, beef steak or jersey tomato or two plums tomato chopped. Uh, three quarters of a cup yellow spit, please. Flesh cilantro and jasmine rice for, for serving. Combine curry powder, turmeric, cumin, garlic, ginger, and half the coconut milk in a bowl. Add chicken and coat well. Allow it to marinate for a few hours or overnight. Heat olive oil in a Dutch oven or a large pot over medium high heat. Remove chicken from marinade and allow excess to drip off chicken. Reserve liquid. Sear chicken with the, with the skin side down until golden brown. Flip chicken over so since got us up. Add the marinade, remaining coconut milk, water, split peas, and tomatoes. Add salt and pepper to taste. Reduce heat, reduce heat to medium-low, simmer, and cover pot. Allow to cook for 45 minutes. Remove chicken from pot and cook another to 15-20 minutes until split peas are completely cooked. While split peas continue cooking, allow chicken to cool slightly and then remove skin and shred chicken from the bone. When split peas are finished cooking, place the shredded chicken back into pot and stir. Silver, serve over jasmine rice and rice, rice and garnish with fresh, fresh cilantro. Indian, Indian carrot cardamom halva. So what you're going to need is basically like halva, but it's like a, uh, you know, Indian version. Uh, you know, like a Jewish version, right? Like a, like a Bene Israel version or like an Indian version. Like Indian Jews probably make, they know how to make it. So it's a halva, but it's like, you know, Indian Jewish version. So you're going to need some salt, some golden raisin, sugar, cardamom, carrots, and heavy cream. Combine carrots, cream, raisin, sugar, and cardamom in the heavy bottom saucepan. Bring to a boil. Reduce heat to medium low and cover halfway with the lid. Cook. Stirring occasionally until most of the liquid has evaporated, about 30 minutes. Uncover completely and stir until all of the liquid has evaporated. The carrots will be completely sopped and cooked through with cream and, and, and a shiny sheen coating in each piece. It is better to have a bit of extra cream left in the pot than to risk scorching the bottom of the mixture. Serve at room temperature or warm. When reheating, add a splash of cream if needed to reach the pudding consistency. Store up to 10 days in the refrigerator in an airtight container. Sack paneer with goat cheese. So sack paneer is, paneer is cheese and then goat cheese is um, like a goat cheese. So what you're going to need is uh, butter or heavy cream, which is optional. Uh, you're going to need goat cheese or homemade goat, goat milk farmer's cheese, uh, black pepper to taste, salt, uh, water or dried white wine, uh, spinach, um, garam masala or other curry spice mix, uh, ginger, fresh ginger, garlic, which are minced, shallots minced, uh, one large onion diced, and three tablespoons of olive oil, olive oil or ghee. Uh, I would go with the olive oil here because we want to be parv, uh, as parv as possible. Uh, and you're going to also need some basmati rice, which is cooked. In a large pot with a heavy bottom, heat the olive oil or ghee on medium high. On medium high. Uh, I recommend the oil, you know, got to be as parv as possible here, even though we're eating cheese for the recipe. Add the onions, reduce, reduce the heat to medium low, and allow it to caramelize for, for 10 minutes. Raise the heat to medium or high again and add the shallots, garlic, and ginger. Saute for 5 minutes. Add the curry and toast for another 30 seconds. Add the water or white wine and swish until the liquid deglaze to deglaze the pot. Add the salt and pepper. Allow the mixture to simmer uncovered until the liquid has reduced by about half. Add half of the spinach kale or kale, cover it, and simmer for 2-3 to three minutes. The greens will cook down considerably. Add the other half and fold in raw greens so they, they come in contact with the hot liquid. Cover again and simmer until tender, another 5-10 to 10 minutes. Taste and adjust seasonings as desired. To serve, spoon rice onto individual dishes and top with onions and green mixture. Use a tablespoon to, to scoop out a portion of goat cheese. Then use a smaller spoon to scrape small pieces onto each serving. Eat with a flatbread such as roti naan or chapati if desired and accompany with raita made with goat or cow yogurt. Masala lamb stew with creamy coconut quinoa. 
For the stew, you're going to need uh, two and a half pounds of lamb stew meat, salt and pepper, olive oil, onion, garlic, jalapeno, a small one, uh, fresh ginger, garam masala spice mix, quart, uh, one and a half quarts of chicken, one and a half cups of orange or pineapple juice, fresh cilantro, or in a fresh cilantro for garnish. For, for garnish. For the coconut quinoa, you're going to need, going to need quinoa, light coconut milk plus extra water, uh, salt and pepper, and olive oil. And for the stew, you're going to, like these are the directions now, heat two tablespoons of olive oil in a large Dutch oven or pot over medium-high heat. Sprinkle lamb liberally with salt and pepper. Sear lamb in batches on each side until golden brown. Set aside. Reduce heat to medium. Saute onions and, and remaining lamb fat. Shaping down brown bits from the bottom. Cook until translucent, which is 5 to 6 minutes. Add jalapeno and ginger and cook for another 3 to 4 minutes. Add garlic and garam masala. Cook until fragrant. Add stock and bring to a boil. Scrape any additional bits from the bottom pan while coming to a boil. Add lamb and reduce heat to medium-low heat. Cook for 1.5 to 2 hours, stirring occasionally. And if, if liquid has reduced too much, add more stock to water or water. Add salt and pepper to taste. Now for the coconut quinoa. Heat olive oil in a medium pan, a medium pot over medium heat. Toast the quinoa until lightly browned, around five minutes. Add the one and a half cup can, one and a half cup cans of coconut milk plus water and bring to a boil. Reduce heat to simmer and cook and cover pot, and cook it for twenty to twenty-five minutes. Allow it to sit ten minutes and fluff with a fork. Add an extra two tablespoons of coconut milk plus salt and pepper and to taste and mix. Heat all spices except nutmeg in a medium skillet over medium-high heat, stirring often until the cumin becomes brown, which is two and a half to three minutes. Transfer to a spice grinder or coffee mill. Add the nutmeg and grind until it's a fine powder. Store in an airtight container for up to four months. I'm going to talk about uh, cochin, coriander, cumin, chicken for Passover. This is made by the cochin Jews. Uh, that's why it's called cochin, but, you know, maybe some B'nai Israel could also make this as well. Um, you, what you're going to need is... Uh, seeds from four cardamom po pods or half a, a teaspoon of ground cardamom, uh, ground cloves, peppercorns or black pepper, uh, ground pep black pepper, coriander seeds or ground coriander, uh, cinnamon or cinnamon stick, anise seeds, cumin seeds, ground nutmeg, turmeric, salt, vegetable oil, uh, onions card cut into large chunks, bone uh, three pounds uh, boneless chicken boneless skinless chicken thighs, uh, three tomatoes peeled and roughly chopped. Or a one 15-ounce can of whole tomatoes, four to five curry leaves, white uh, white vinegar, fresh ginger, four to five gar four to five garlic cloves, uh, cilantro leaves, mint leaves, and a serrano or other fresh small green chili stem seeded and minced. If using whole spices, heat a frying pan over medium heat. Add the cardamom, cloves, peppercorns, and coriander seeds, cinnamon stick, anise seeds, and cumin seeds. Stir until the seeds start to pop, which is about three minutes. Grind them in a small blender. Coffee grinder or mortar and pestle along with the nutmeg, turmeric, and salt. If using ground spices, simply mix them all together in a small bowl. Rub the mixture into the chicken. Transfer to a plastic bag and refrigerate for at least two hours or overnight. In a large Dutch oven over medium heat, heat the oil until shimmering. Add the onions and saute until golden. Add the chicken and saute for one minute. Add tomatoes, curry leaves, vinegar, and half cup water. Bring to a boil. Reduce to simmer and cook. Cover until chicken is soft and cooked through. About 20 minutes. In a food processor, Blend the ginger, garlic, cilantro, mint, and two of the chilies. Taste and add more chilies if desired. Stir into the chicken and simmer for another five minutes. Serve over rice if desired. Now I'll be talking about onion naan. So what you're going to need is milk, or I guess you could use par milk if you want to make a par. That would be, that'd be much better. Uh, active dry yeast, sugar, uh, all-purpose flour uh, for surface and hands, um, kosher salt plus more, uh, like you need one teaspoon, one teaspoon of kosher salt or a little bit more, 
one small onion, finely chopped, one cup whole milk yogurt, not Greek, and two tablespoons of melted ghee, clarified butter, or vegetable oil, or, and you're gonna need a, you're probably gonna need a little bit more. I, I recommend I I recommend making this as parv as possible. So use you know parv milk and oil. Here are the directions: heat milk in a small saucepan over medium low heat until an instant red thermometer instant read thermometer registers 100 degrees. Transfer to a small bowl. I'm, again, I'm guessing this is in Fahrenheit. Transfer to a small bowl and whisk in, ye in we whisk in yeast and sugar. Let stand until foamy, about 10 minutes. Whisk three and a half cups of flour and one tablespoon salt in a large bowl to blend. Add yeast mixture, onion, yo onion, yogurt, and two tablespoons ghee. Or I could, you could add, um, you know, like parb yogurt, or I don't know. You, you probably gotta make that dairy. Mix dough until blended, but still shaggy. Transfer dough to a lightly floured work surface. Knead until a smooth dough forms. Adding flour as needed. Dough will be sticky, which is about five minutes. Lightly grease another large bowl with ghee. Place dough, dough in a bowl and turn to coat. Cover a plastic wrap. Let, let rise in a warm, draft-free area until doubled in size, which will be about one hour. Punch down dough and divide it into ten pieces. Using floured hands, roll, roll each uh, piece into a ball on the lightly floured surface. Cover a plastic wrap. Let rest ten minutes. Heat a large cast iron or heavy or, or heavy or heavy skillet over medium high heat. Lightly coat with ghee, working with one piece at a time. Stretch dough with your hands and roll out roll, roll out with a rolling pin to one yeah, one eighth inch thickness. Sprinkle with salt. Cook, cook lightly until blistered, puffed, and cooked through about two minutes per side. Wrap in foil to keep warm and, and, and until ready to serve. And you can do this ahead. Nine dough can be made four hours before shaving. Cover and chill. Chapatis, which is whole wheat Indian flatbread. On the Indian table, utensils are rare. Flatbread. Flatbreads sop up soupy dishes and, and wrap morsels of food. They, the everyday flatbread is chapati, also known as roti. A pleonter round made from whole wheat flour that is cooked on a dry skillet and then inflated and browned over open flame. Where you're going to need is uh, three, three, three and a cup quarters of atta, which is durum wheat flour, or, and ghee melted, melted or, or, or brought for brushing. Or, or oil, I guess, for a par version. Just use oil for a par version. Place half a cup of flour in a bowl. Set aside. In another bowl, stir remaining flour in one one and one quarter, quarter cup of water until the dough, for, dough forms. Knead dough briefly until smooth, which is one to two minutes. Divide into ten balls, working with one ball of dough at a time. Roll a ball in reserve flour and using a rolling pin, roll until a seven inch circle, which is about uh, one eighth inch thick. Heat a towel or twelve inch cast iron skillet over high heat. Cook dough, flipping once, until slightly puffed and golden, which is two to three minutes. Transfer roti to a plate and plate and slide scale off the heat. Using tongs, hook roti uh, about two inches over the open flame, flipping once until slightly charred in spots, about one minute. Alternately, finish cooking roti in skillet. Return roti to plate, brush with ghee, serve hot, or brush with uh, oil, uh, or like parv butter. Uh, fish alberos. So fish alberos, a classic uh, Benayasol dish. Um, they fish because they didn't know how to slaughtered the meat properly until like you know like the coach and juice found them probably so they just ate fish is like their their main the main dish so what you're going to need is uh half a kilo of grouper perch cro or croaker steaks uh like fish steak uh you need turmeric chili pepper salt red onion peeled sliced into thin rings cooking potatoes red plum tomatoes cashmere red chilies and cumin seeds and ginger root peeled on julienne, uh, six cloves of garlic slightly smashed, and two tablespoons of vegetable oil. This is what you gotta do how to make it. Sprinkle turmeric, salt, and red chili, pow red chili powder over the fish, fish fillets. Reserve. 
Heat oil in a large nonstick pan, about 10 inches wide and 2 to 3, three inches deep, on a medium flame. Add cumin seeds and cashmere chilies, saute with, and saute for one minute. Add onions, ginger root, garlic cloves, some salt, and saute for 30 seconds. Layer the top with half the tomato. Sprinkle with li a, little, a little salt. Then, add the potatoes, sprinkle with a little more salt, cover, and let cook on a slow flame for about 6 to 7 minutes. Layer the fish over the tomatoes. Layer the top with the remaining tomatoes. Add some water. Cook and cover in, on a slow flame until the fish is cooked. Serve warm with fukas, fulkas or boiled rice. Coconut caddy. So uh, a coconut caddy is like a like a curry kind of with coconut. So this is what you're going to need. Uh, 400 milliliters of coconut milk. 1 tablespoon of rice flour. 2 tablespoons of vegetable oil or coconut oil. 8 to 10 fresh green curry leaves. 2 to 3 Indian green chilies. Black mustard seeds. Cumin seeds. Garlic. And turmeric. Uh, Cocum. Ma or mangosteen fruit soaked in warm water and this is how you make it. Mix the rice flour and turmeric into the coconut milk. Heat oil in a medium sized saucepan on a high flame. Add mustard, cumin and red chilies and saute for one minute. Add green chilies, curry leaves and garlic. Cook for another minute. Stir in a cup of water. Add the coconut milk and cook on lo low flame until it simmers. Serve with plain, plain boiled rice. B'nai Israel chutney. So this is uh, just a chutney made by the B'nai Israel. Um, it's a good chutney dish, like a chutney. It's like a meat and I don't know, um, like not meat. It's like fruit and stuff. It's like spicy fruit. I don't know how you can make fruit spicy, but you know, that that's what it is. All right. Anyway, so you're going to need coriander leaves, Indian green chilies, walnuts, uh, date concentrate or jaggery. I don't know what jaggery is. Uh, green mango and salt. And what you got to do is to grind all the ingredients into a smooth plate. Taste for salt and sweetness, and adjust. Keep refrigerated in an airtight container. This dish, like Melita, this is a classic dish. I'll be explaining more about the ceremony part and the bonus section. That's the only thing I'll be talking about in the bonus section. So, you know, this is like this is the actual dish. This dish is associated with a religious ceremony tied to B'nai Israel that I'll be explaining in detail about in the bonus section. As for right now, I'll only be stating the recipe and how it's prepared. So what you're going to need is four cups of poha pressed rice available in Indian grocery stores online. You're going to need sugar, grated coconut, uh, cardamom pods, golden raisins, uh, apple, pear, orange, banana, and a date. And for garnishes, you're going to need a handful of raw almonds, blanched, peeled, and sliced, handful of raw pistachios, shelled, blanched, peeled, and sliced, handful of cut and fine sliced almonds and pistachios, and clean and soak poha in very little water for a few minutes until softened. Run through a large sieve to drain all, all water and press on top lightly to get rid of excess water. In a large bowl, add the drained poha and sugar. Add the sugar immediately so it will blend in smoothly and not re remain grainy. Add the cardamom and grated coconuts and raisins and garnish with nuts. Place, place on a, a, a large round plate in shape of a mountain. Surround with five to seven types of fruit with a minimum of five peaches each. Peta. Peta pura or peta or pura is a sweet Indian dish hailing from the Indian subcontinent. It originated from Mathura, Uttar Pradesh, India. Usually prepared in thick, semi-soft pieces. Its main ingredients are koa, sugar, and traditional flavorings including cardamom seeds, pistachio nuts, and saffron. Its color varies from a creamy white to caramel color. The word peta is also generically used to mean a, a, a sphere of any doughy substance such as flour or koa. Variant spellings and names for the dessert include peta, penda, and gujarati, and para. Pedas originated in the city of Mathura in the present-day Uttar Pradesh. The Mathura peta is a characteristic variety from the city. From Uttar Pradesh, the peta spread to many parts of the Indian subcontinent. 
the Kor Ram Ratan Singh of Lucknow, who migrated to Darwad in the present-day Karna Karnataka in the 1850s, introduced pettas there. The distinct variety is now famous as a Darwad peta. Kandi peta from Satara in Maharashtra is another variety of peta. Kanji Kanji is a is a is a is a fermented drink originated from the Indian subcontinent, uh, made in India for the festival of Holi. Kanji is made with water, black carrots, beetroot, mustard seed, and heme. It may be served with bandi sprinkled on top. During Holi, kanji is often added to ura dal dumplings or vada. The, the, the latter is then called kanji vada. Kanji is similar in taste to the Turkish drink of sagam. Now, I'll now be talking about lentils. Not rum by itself, but is, uh, but is eaten with many various other things by the Bene Israel Jews. On the Indian sub in cuisines of the Indian subcontinent, where lentils are a staple, split lentils, often with their hulls removed, known as dal, are often cooked into a thick curry or gravy that is usually eaten with rice or rotis. Chapatis. Chapatis, also known as rotis, safati, shabati, pulka, and the Maldives, roshi, is an unleavened flatbread originating from the Indian subcontinent and staple in India, Nepal, Bangladesh, Pakistan, Sri Lanka, East Africa, and the Caribbean. Chapatis are made of whole wheat flour known as atta. Mix into dough with water, oil, and it's optional salt in a mixing utensil called a parat, and it's cooked on a tava, flat skillet. It is a common staple on the Indian subcontinent as well as among expatriates from the Indian subcontinent throughout the world. Chapatis were introduced to other parts of the world by immigrants from the Indian subcontinent, particularly by ancient mer Indian merchants to Central Asia, Southeast Asia, East Africa, and the Caribbean islands. Chapatis are made using a soft dough comprising wheat flour, salt, and water. It is more, it is more finely ground than most Western-style whole wheat flours. Traditionally, roti and rice are prepared without salt to provide a bland background for spice dishes. Chapati dough is typically, typically prepared with flour, salt, and water. Kneaded with the knuckles of the tan, made into a fist, and left to proof for 10-15 minutes to an hour for the gluten in the dough to develop. After proofing, the dough becomes softer and more pliable. Small portions of the dough are pinched off and formed into round balls that are pressed between the two palms to form discs, which are then dipped in flour and rolled out on a circular rolling board, a chalka, using a rolling pin known as a valan or balan to flat disc. There's also automatic roti makers, which automatic roti makers, which automate the whole process. The rolled out dough is then thrown onto a preheat, dried tava, and cooked on both sides. In some regions of the Indian subcontinent, chapatis are only partially cooked on a skillet and then cooked directly over in a flame, which made some rise. The hot steam cooks the chapati and rapidly from the inside. In some parts of northern India and eastern Pakistan, this is called the pulka. Well, fulka. In southern parts of India, it's called the pulka. It kind of sounds the same. It is also possible to puff up the roti directly on the tava. Once cooked, chapatis are often topped with butter or ghee. In western regions of Mahashtra, some oil is added inside the, inside the rolled-out dough and then put on, ta on tava. This is distinct from the parafa. Chapati diameter and thickness varies from region to region. Chapatis made in domestic kitchens are usually not larger than 15 centimeters, 6 inches to 18 centimeters, 7, 7 inches in, in diameter since the tava on, on which they are made comes in sizes that, that fit comfortably on a domestic stovetop. Tava were traditionally ma made with unglazed earthenware but are now typically made from metal. The shape of a rolling pin also varies from region to region. Some households simply use a kitchen worktop as a sort of pastry board, but but round flat top boards made of wood, stone, or stainless steel are available specifically for rolling out chapatis. In most parts of the Indian subcontinent, there is a distinction be made between the chapati and other related flatbreads eating in the region, like roti, paratha, kulcha, puri, and naan, based on cooking technique and texture, used used the different types of flour. For example, parathas are either made layer by spreading ghee, fo folding, and rolling 
again onto the disc, which turns out flaky, flaky once cooked or is filled with spinach, dal, or, or, or cooked radish or, or potato. Parathas are mostly made using all-purpose flour instead of, instead of whole wheat flour. There are many regional varieties of chapati in India. Paneer chapati. Grated paneer is added to the usual chapati dough, which is also called paneer paratha. The paratha means stuffed chapati or bread. Radish or mulangi chapati. Grated radish and turmeric powder is added to the dough, and the chapati is usually thick. It is often eaten by lorry drivers who, who eat it in roadside dabas during long trips. It is called muli paratha. Vegetable stuffed chapati. Mush, mashed carrot, potato, peas, and fenugreek are slightly sautéed into a masala gravy. These chapatis are usually served rolled, and many households prepare them using the own combinations of available vegetables. The Lu Paratha. Chapati stuffed with boiled, and pota boiled potato and onion. It is very famous in northern parts of India, especially in New Delhi, Punjab, and in the hilly areas of Shimla. Uh, it is eaten along with pickle and curd. In winters, there are two, there are two more varieties of parathas. I.e. the Gobi paratha, chapati stuffed with cauliflower, and muli paratha, chapati stuffed with radish. In Maldives, chapati are traditionally eaten for breakfast along with a dish known as mashuni. In, the Indian breads are tasty and equally nutritious. Chapati or Indian flatbread is a part of Indian staple food. Chapati is all with curries, dry sabjis, chutneys, or dal. Garam masala. Garam masala for gara, from, from garam, hot, and masala, a mixture of spices, is a blend of ground spices originating from South Asia, common in Afghani, Pakistani, Nepalese, Bangladeshi, uh, Sri Lankan and Indian cuisines it is used alone or with other seasonings. The composition of garam masala differs regionally, with many recipes across the Indian subcontinent according to the region, regional and personal taste. And none is considered more authentic than others. The, the, the component of the mix are toasted, then ground together. A typical Indian version of garam masala contains uh, fennel with the Hindi name in parenthesis, fennel, where I'm going to be reading it because I'm like just reading off something here, fennel saunf, Black and white peppercorns, kali or safed mirch, cloves, laung, cinnamon or cassia bark, darchini, mace, outer covering of nutmeg, javriti, black and green cardamom pods, lachi, cumin, jira, coriander, dahania. Some recipes uh, call for the spices to be blended with herbs, while others call for the spices to be ground with water, vinegar, or other liquids to make a paste. In some recipes, ingredients including nuts, onions, or garlic may be added. Some recipes also call for small quantities of star anise, astophidia, chili, stone flour, known as dagarpul, and kabachini, kubeb. The flavors may be carefully bended to achieve a balanced effect, or a single flavor may be emphasized. Masala may be toasted before use to release its flavors and aromas. Another recipe for a, a spicy a spice garam masala spice mix. Uh, some cinnamon sticks, bay leaves, cumin seeds, coriander seeds, cardamom pods, whole black peppercorns, cloves, red chilies, and freshly grated nutmeg. And and I guess you just grind that up in the spice bender. Alright, so now I'm going to be talking about kadi. Kadi, or karhi, is a dish originating from the Indian subcontinent. and consists of a thick gravy uh, based on chickpea flour and contains vegetable fritters called pakoras to which dahi yogurt is added to give it a bit of a sour taste. It is often eaten with, bo with boiled rice or roti. In northern India, pakoras are added to the, to the gram flour gravy, and sour yogurt is added to add flavor to it. They are eaten either with boiled rice or roti. In Gujarat and Rajasthan, it is usually served with kijiti, roti paratha, roti paratha or rice. It is considered a light food. 
Gujarati and Rajasthani Kadi differs from Uttar from the Uttar Pradesh variety. Traditionally, it is little sweeter than the other variants because the sugary or or jaggery is added to it. But it can be made without sugar for more sour taste. It is eaten without pakoras and, and its consistency is slightly thinner. The Gujarati Kadi is made preferably from buttermilk as it gives more a more smooth texture compared to yogurt. Variations on this basic dish include the addition of certain vegetables, notably binhi or okra, in which case is known as bihinda ni kadi. And Punjab kadi is a simple, quick winter meal, made from basan, also known as gram flour, to thicken the consistency adding and adding bakoras. It is eaten with either long green basmati rice, or more commonly with a roti. Unlike the rest of India, sour yogurt is not added, just full-fat buttermilk or unsweetened yogurt. In Western India, especially in the Maharashtra, Especially in Mahasha, kadi is made with kokum, which which is very famous in co coastal Mahasha, konkan with the name of sol kadi. Other variants of kadi in Mahasha are made with kachi kari, rum mango, which is which is known as ambachi kadi, am kadi. And one more variant of kadi in Maharashtra is made up of curd and buttermilk, which is known as takachi kadi. In Haryana, a popular variation is called Haryanavi Hara Choli Kadi, made with basan and hair, hair choli, raw, raw green chickpeas with pure ghee. The generous semi-melting dollops of homemade fresh butter added during serving. Har, Haryanavi Kadi is sometimes cooked with additional ingredients such as seasonal farm fresh green batha leaves or kachiri, small wild melons. In Purvanchal, Eastern Uttar Pradesh and Western Bihar. It's called Kadi Vadi because pakoda, which is added into the Kadi, is basically a small vadi or vadi made simply out of chickpea flour. No vegetables are added to make it a standard pakoda. The name Kadi is also derived from several, several Indo-Aryan languages spoken in northern India in which Kada means to take out, which in this context means to reduce and hence the yogurt and chippy curry. It's cooked for a very long time until it is reduced and consistency changes from runny, -like, from runny water-like to thick. In southern states, it is seasoned with saute arsofatida, mustard seeds, cumin, and chenugreek. The, the soup is thickened in a different way by the addition of pureed split chickpea soaked overnight with whole coriander seeds and dried red chili pepper. Squash, okra, tomato, Chinese spinach, carrots, sweet peas are a few vegetables that are added to seasoning before bringing the soup to a boil. Pakoras, grandfather flitters, are added to, for special occasions like ceremonies. They're called manjihuli in Kannada, majapasu in Tegulu, and morakansabu in Tamiya with similar meaning. In Kerala, it's called the Kalam. The Sini diaspora in India usually makes kadi by first roasting chickpea flour and adding vegetables to the chickpea gravy. It's called kadi because of the use of curry leaves, which are called kadi pata in Sindhi. Instead of yogurt, tamarind pulp is used to give it a sour taste. An alternative way to make a liquid mixture of the chickpea flour instead of roasting chickpea. In Pakistan, it is usually served with boiled rice and naan. Dari people commonly refer kadi with the, with the name of rabara or katiyo. In northern Pakistan, in and around Hazara region of Khyber Panikunkhwa province, kadi is prepared with a variety of additives at a time. These include kadi, kadu, pumpkin, kadi, uh, sar sarsen, uh, kadi mustard leaves. Kadi are some of the more are are some of the mo more famous varieties. In Karachi and Hyderabad, sin apart from the plain kadi, a variety of vegetables such as okra, aubergine, and drumsticks beans may be added. In Pakistan. Kadi by default implies that pakotas are included, is eaten with chapatis or plain boiled rice. And now I'll be talking about a variation of kadi um, that will be made 
that can be made called salachikad, which which is coconut milk, green chilies, garlic flakes, salt, uh, flakes of kokam, and coriander. <sighs> Dissolve kokam flakes into about four to five tablespoons of water in the vessel about ten minutes before you make the kadi. Do not put too much water because the kadi will be very diluted. Put all other ingredients in a blender and blend till smooth with a little water. Pour the mixture into vessel with kohu, mix well, and garnish with coriander. Abaras, baked layer beef. Abaras is a very common Bene Israel dish that can be made with lamb beef, chicken, or beef. There are several recipes online, and I would recommend using one of those one of those instead of this one. While the onions and tomatoes were pretty tasty, the beef was impossibly dried. Some other preparation recommend breading the meat with matzo crumbs, which might help it keep moist. For the green masala, uh, cilantro leaves, garlic cloves, chili, uh, pinch of salt. And for the dry masala, red chili flakes, ground coriander, ground aniseed, garlic powder, ground ginger, and ground turmeric. What you're going to need for the beef is ground chuck. Boneless chuck, like boneless chuck, cut into three and three by one by half inch slices. Garam masala, oil, onions, tomato, uh, apple cider vinegar, peas, and peas. This is how you make it. Make the green masala by pureeing all the together all the ingredients. Make the dry masala by mixing by mixing by mixing all its ingredients. Place beef slices in a bowl and mix until in the green masala, dry masala, and garam masala. Cover and leave to marinate for two hours at room temperature. Preheat the oven to 355 degrees Fahrenheit and oil a baking dish. Put half the onions on the bottom of the baking dish. Cover with half the tomatoes and half the beef. Repeat with the other half. Sprinkle vinegar over the mixture. Cover and bake for one and a half to two hours. Ten minutes before it's done, add the green peas. Fish moldy. Mean moldy, literally fish stew, is a popular Kerala dish of possible Portuguese origin. During colonial times, it spread through the British Empire, and today, there are many recipes for this dish online. Mo- most are more elaborate than this very simple B'nai Israel version. And yet, I cannot, not me myself, I'm getting it from a website. I cannot imagine they'd be more delicious. I hesitate to call this dish a curry, but if I do, I'll have to admit, it's, fa- it's by far the best curry I've ever cooked. The B'nai Israel version of this dish calls for the sauce to be flavored by kokums, or dried mango steens. You can find this in Indian grocery stores. Mine even called even call them jungle plums. You can also substitute with one and a half tablespoons of tamarind juice, or even some coke, or even some coconut balsamic vinegar, or skip it in, or skip it and add some e- extra lemon juice at the end. What you're gonna need is cooking oil, an onion thinly sliced, two inches of ginger root peeled and chopped, four garlic cloves peeled and chopped, two tablespoons, two teaspoons of ground cumin, two teaspoons of salt, a two t- one and a half teaspoon of turmeric, one large tomato thinly sliced, two pounds of white fish fillet, slice into slice into one inch wide strips, uh, green chilies, kokum, coconut milk, lemon juice, and, and yeah, that's all you need. This is how you make it. Heat oil and wok or saute pan over a medium high heat. Add the sliced onions and stir and stir fry for three minutes. Add the chopped garlic and garlic. Add the chopped ginger and garlic and stir fry for two more minutes. Add the cumin, salt, and turmeric and stir. Add the tomato and stir fry for two minutes. Add the fish, the chilies, and the kokum and stir well until the fish is coated with onions and spices. Add the coconut milk, bring to a boil, and then turn down the temperature and simmer for 15 minutes. And add the lemon juice and serve with rice. Ma-kal-kal, chicken and coconut milk. And the coconut milk is from a coconut, so it's par. This chicken dish is so central to the cuisine of the Bene Israel. I found numerous variations online under a variety of different names. Ma-kal-kal, chicken curry with cilantro, and tomatoes, coconut chicken curry, coriander, cumin chicken, masala chicken. 
It's not surprising. Uh, as before moving to Bombay, or Mumbai now, the B'nai Israel lived in a plethora of small villages in the Konkan area without much communication. The recipe I use, like my other B'nai uh, Israel recipes, is, is the chicken with fresh spices. Recipes from Copeland Mark's Farda cooking, cooking book is rather simple. Other than include the addition of potatoes or vegetables, masala, spice mixes, or more spices. The dish was fairly easy to make and quite pleasant. I would have considered a traditional curry, though it was so fragrant that my daughter remarked the cat, whom she found outside upon her arrival home, smelled like Indian food. The aroma lingered inside the house until the next day. Still, the flavoring is very subtle and reminded me more of a honey, uh, homey chicken stew than of a curry. I, f I followed Mark's recipe closely, except that I had to use jalapeno peppers rather than the red peppers I called for. They did nothing to add either heat or flavor to the sauce. So when I reheated it before serving the next day, I added a couple of deceited dried, de dried uh, red peppers, which gave the curry a subtle heat. If I made it, if I made it again, I, I'd use four for a mildly spicy curry and serve it with rice. Where you're going to use oil, onions, garlic cloves, pastoral press, ginger root, fresh ginger root, uh, thyroid, cashmere chilies, cardamom pods, pods, cloves, peppercorn, cinnamon stick, salt, Tomatoes, which are thinly sliced, ground turmeric, three chicken parts, skin, and extra, extra fat removed, uh, cilantro, coconut milk, lemon, and lemon juice. So what is this, this is what you got to do. Heat the oil over medium heat in a large saute pan. Add the onions and saute until golden, stirring occasionally. Add the, add the garlic, ginger, chilies, and cardamom, cardamom, cloves, peppercorn, cinnamon, and salt. Stir fry for three minutes. Add the tomatoes and turmeric and stir fry for two more minutes. Add the chicken and cilantro and, and fry until chicken starts to change color, which is about three minutes. Add the coconut milk, bring to a boil, then re reduce heat to low and simmer, stirring occasionally until the chicken is cooked through, which is about 40 minutes. Add the lemon juice and serve. Paran poli. Paran poli is an Indian sweet, flap, Indian sweet flatbread. The various names for flatbread include holy jay or batu kan or in Kannada, paran poli or vedmi in Gujarati, paran poli marathi, uh, upitu in Malayalam and Tamil, baksham or babatu or oliga in Tagulu, Andhra Pradesh, and Pole and Pole and Pole in Telangana, Ubati or simply Pole in Konkani. Its recipe, as as Bakshiam, is mentioned in Manuhatria, a 14th century Tagulu encyclopedia compiled by Alasani Padana, who hails from present day Andhra Pradesh. Oje is made from chana, plain flour, or wheat flour. Jaggery or cane sugar, cardamom powder and or nutmeg powder, ghee and water. Sometimes tordal is used in Gujarat. It is commonly used in the state of Karnataka and Tamil Nadu as well. In, in Andhra Pradesh and other places, mung dal, chana or, or a mix is used. Other ingredients that may, may, may or may not be used are nuts, dates, and turmeric powder. I'll be linking to an article about parampoli in the description. Uh, kosher lamb curry. Uh, this, I'm going to be mentioning this uh, a recipe, or the person who, who made this recipe in the B'nai Israel Jews in Canada section. So, uh, yeah, this is just like a little excerpt from that. Miriam Daniels likes spices. That's why her kosher for Passover lamb curry, which she serves as a crowning main dish at her Seder, eight, the eight days holiday ritual meal, calls for an entire red hot chili pepper and a heaping teaspoon, teaspoon of red, red pepper flakes. But, if you can, but you can dial it back if your family can't stand the heat. Daniels uses kosher stewing lamb, finding out again meats in Thornhill, but you don't have to. She serves this dish on rice. It is also it is also a, a, deli a delicious pain. And of course, with matzah. 
So what do you need is vegetable oil, boneless lamb shoulder, uh, yellow onion, cilantro leaves, ginger, um, peeled and minced, garlic cloves, tomato, diced, one hot red chili, uh, turmeric, cumin, red pepper flakes, table salt, and garam masala, black pepper, and two medium Yukon gold or yellow flesh potatoes, peeled, cut into two, five in, two inch five centimeter cubes, and some basmati rice. So in a large pot over medium high heat, um, heat oil, add lamb, cook, stirring until browned all over, until about five minutes, using slotted spoon, Uh, using a slotted spoon, transfer lamb to plate. Add onion to pot. Cook, stirring for five minutes. Add cilantro, ginger, garlic, and tomato. Cook until tomato releases liquid, which is about two minutes. Add fresh chili pepper, turmeric, cumin, and red, red. Add red. Add fresh chili pepper, turmeric, cumin, and red pepper flake. Red pepper flakes. Salt, garam masala, and black pepper. Stir for one minute. Add a reserved lamb to pot with potatoes. Bring to a boil. Reduce heat and low and to low and cover. Simmer until meat is cooked through and tender, about 15 to 20 minutes. If desired, serve curry over rice.